you know, what happens when you wake up, you're 24 years old, working a job you hate, wake, not wanting to get up out of bed in the morning, dreading going into the office, dreading going in there to try to sell stuff that you just, what do you do when you're, when your life is miserable and, uh, and, uh, you don't know what to do. And, uh, you know, uh, Jensen has a great, uh, a great, a great method for his, for his, uh, what he did, what he went and he, he went and got alone, listened to Nirvana and got really high, play some, play some bud and, uh, and realize, you know, this is a life that we're living. This is a life I'm living. And what do I really want to do? Like, I don't know how many breaths any of us are ever really going to have. So like, what do we do? And, and that's where Steven really, I mean, it's, he talks about it on the show, but he, you know, getting alone with yourself and really contemplating these questions, really sitting with these ideas and these feelings and listening to people that have been through it as well, uh, has, was super beneficial for him. And it was beneficial for me to hear him do it. And also like him walk me through, you know, how he went from being a pro wrestling fan, a UFC fan to somebody who's, who's literally meeting all of his favorite, his, his idols and his, you know, he, he got to meet and interview a guy that uh, it does. He'll talk about it on the show. But how do you go from there? Where did he come from? Where do you go? Where do you come from, Cotton Hot Joe? We go all the way back. We went to high school together. <laughs> we grew up in East Cobb. Uh, and, and the conversation, it's just what, what the adversity that Steven had to face at a young age. 14 years old and and the you know the experience him and his family went through and and how he how he got through it and uh how he worked his way into the into the life that he leads today to me is is just it was just mega inspiring and I was so so happy to be able to have this conversation with him and um yeah I just want to drop us in I think I think that we're good I, I I could share about some stuff I don't really I've been listening to myself all day. I'm sick of hearing what I have to say. I was enjoying listening to Steven um, more than what I had to say. I'm sure I say some things in the show, so we'll listen to me there. But for right now, dude, all, I, all I'm really looking at is this Bruce Lee book, this Striking Thoughts Daily Wisdom. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my, I've been doing these, this Songwriting Without Boundaries book all week. It's, uh, they're exercises, you know, 15 minutes worth of exercises a day to get the creative juices flowing. Um, yeah, I've, I've made a decision to, to invest my energy and my focus into shared space. So that's been, that's been what I've been working on this week. And, and things have been, man, just making that conscious decision to say, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do the work has just it's and then actually doing the work has has made me feel just feel so much better i went like i woke up this morning excited to wake up excited to 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 see what the day would bring and excited about the new the new um i could i mean i guess the trajectory that i've that i've chosen which we'll see what happens we got a social network for self-discovery uh we're designing it for IOPs and treatment centers. Uh, we're going to start, I'm going to start meeting with people, showing it and trying to onboard uh, different facilities with it. And shit, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so like, you know, it's just, it's just really cool. I feel, I just feel really, I feel grateful for Steven, um, you know, and, and anyone, everyone who's been on the show so far to help me get out of my way and like 
to help me see things in a different way and also to just surprise me with things you know I was scratching I was scratching my balls just now I don't know, I don't know if you can see that if you're on the audio you'll just have to pretend but uh then I got this new Mario shirt on check this out yeah anyway I'm done talking I, I ain't got shit else to say I want to hear what Steven Steven wants to talk about the first 20 minutes we're pretty much all over the place. We're talking about pro wrestling, video games, all sorts of stuff. At about 30 minutes in, 25 to 30 minutes in, he goes into his life story. Highly recommend it. Like from that point forward, it's just incredible. So without further ado, this is, uh, this is uh, Inside the Mind's Eye with Steven Jensen. He's the, uh, he's the uh, video editor for MMA on Point. You can find them on YouTube. And he hosts his own Palmcast. Palm, palm it could be a Palmcast if, if you have a hand and it's in your hand. But it's also a podcast. He hosts his own. It's called Fight Talk. You can find it everywhere. You can look him up on Twitter at Fight Talk underscore. You can shoot him messages, ask him questions. If you want to get involved and figure out how to make your own way and do, and do stuff like this, whatever form that, that is, he, he'd be happy to hear from you, as, as would I. So, you know, like, let's get it. Let's, I'm, I've, I've been saying I've been done talking, I think, for about three minutes now. So let's get it and let's get out and get some. And uh, that's, a, that's an outcast reference. I don't, think I, needed, I don't think I needed to say that. Anyway, this is <laughs> Inside the Mind's Eye with Steven Jensen. did this once before a couple years ago and uh yeah. it's already been like it's already been i guess yeah two or three years since it's crazy yeah i remember it vividly because i was i was literally i was in the bowels of a depression <laughs> and yeah. i remember i remember talking with you and it was so nice to just talk i was so broken though like i never it never got published or shared because i just I don't know. I didn't. I couldn't figure out. And it wasn't that I couldn't figure out. I was just in a space where it felt like I couldn't do anything. You know, like. Yeah, yeah. I uh, <clears throat> and I'm kind of glad you didn't publish. It was good to just kind of talk, like off the record. You know what I mean? Just like as friends. Like that's totally, it's totally fine that you never did anything with it. Like I kind of prefer it that way. To like, so much has changed. Like, is for me also since then that like, if I was to listen back to that now. I'd probably be like, oh, douchebag, you know what I mean? But it, but I feel about my, I feel that way about myself almost every day, to be honest. Like, um, cause like, you know, I haven't, I haven't dealt with like your levels of like, you know, I know you have like all the addiction stuff and whatnot, and like you've like overcome it, which is like very admirable. And like my, my stuff is more like psychological, uh, more kind of like anxiety driven and, and stuff like that. So like, I totally get the concept of like being low, you know what I mean? And like having to like pick yourself up, like kind of, I like for a long time I'd wake up and like have to like, like literally like fucking like snap myself into the day. Like I'd wake up and be like, shit, I gotta go through this all over again. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna make it on this day. I never really had like the thoughts of like suicide. It was never like that serious, but it was always like kind of like, you know, you, I mean, you know, you know the feeling where you wake up and you're just like, how the fuck am I going to get through today? And like, I had to like really like 
start just thinking like positive, like good stuff in my life. And that's like just kind of how like I always dealt with it was like, all right, if it gets you this day, like I saw like you and Griffin Banner, you're talking about it a bit on Facebook. And it was very, very relatable. Like thinking like things like, oh man, I've got this coming up in the future. I got to be around for that. You know, and I, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people go through that. And I was probably, I was probably kind of, kind of down myself when we talked last. So like, I, I totally get it. Yeah. What, when, when, uh, so when, when was that for you when you felt that way? Like, is it, is it kind of like a, an ever present angst or is it? Yeah, it's, you know, like a lot of it is driven through like, you know, my mom passing away when I was younger and like having to deal with that. And then like my brother going through like, you know, he's been through like multiple surgeries and stuff like for like neurological issues, which he's, he's like come out on the other end, like incredibly, like we could have never imagined the kind of progress he's made. Like he's in better shape than anyone I know at this point, which is like, he went from like really bad neurological issues to like helping other people get through their neurological issues, which is like, you know, which is tremendous. So I'm very much, you know, proud of what he's done. But it's, it's that kind of stuff. And it's also like social anxiety, like just kind of the thought of like always being judged, even though like that isn't really the case. Like, I just feel like when I go out and it's not like an ego thing either. I just feel like when I go out, people are like either staring at me or like judging me or like whatever it is. And uh, the way that I combated that was as backwards as it sounds, like you can see it right now, I'm wearing like a Razor Ramon t-shirt. Pretty much, I switched my entire wardrobe to like wrestling and like MMA related shit. And I was like, you know what? If people see me out and about, they're gonna know exactly what I'm about, and they can take it or leave it. Like they either gonna like think of, they're either gonna like me for me and like think it's cool that I'm into like the stuff I'm into, or they're not gonna pay me any time of day. But those are probably people I didn't meet in my life to begin with. So like, that's kind of been my uh, my way of like dealing with it. Just kind of like hit it head on. Like just be me. Yeah, unapologetically. I'm not hurting anybody. It's nerdy shit. People are into Star Wars. People are into Legos. People are into a whole bunch of shit. And my thing just happens to be, you know, pro wrestling. So, like, I feel like there's nothing wrong with it. It just, it just takes a while to I, – I liken it to being, like, a closeted uh, homosexual or something. Where, like, <laughs> where, like, you know what I mean? Like, you want to go out and you want to you wanna like men or whatever, right? But, like, you don't want people knowing. Same kind of thing with wrestling. We're, like, <laughs> always a wrestling fan. But, like – if I ever talked about it, people would always either think it was like gay, you know, quote unquote, or like that it was like, you know, the first thing you always hear is, well, you know, it's fake, right? And I'd always be like, yeah, of course I know it's fake. It's like, it's just a TV show. Like it's fake, like the Avengers is fake. You know, like it's the, you know, but, uh, but it took me a long time to like come around to that. And then I started really gaining confidence in that whole, like, I don't know, in my fandom or whatever, once I started interviewing wrestlers and had my own podcast and stuff, and I was like, there's a whole community of people that are into this stuff, like unapologetically. So like, why can't I be? And that's just kind of the way that I dealt with it. And, and it worked out you know, well for me. Absolutely, dude. I, I uh, man, there's, there's so much good stuff. I want to go. I don't even know where I want to go. Cause that's so much good stuff. I've got, I've right now I'm trying, I'm doing the, I'm working, I'm exercising, doing the same thing, which is just owning who I am and sharing and being what I love it's a huge challenge for me. It's like, I fucking love Mario. I remember the first time I made a post on Instagram about how much I liked Mario and I was terrified. Yeah. And you know, I can, with the wrestling dude, like, yes, we understand that it's quotes fake because it's a show and it's a performance, but it's one of the most real physically damaging athletic uh, enterprises anyone could ever participate in. 
you don't you don't get out of a pro wrestling career with a mind that that is clear and, and, and a body that is unbroken. Um, I mean, that, a lot of that has to do with not even like the physicality of the wrestling itself. Like, if you work for a company like the WWE, for example, they're the the most you know obvious example. Their performers are out on the road like over three hundred days a year. So, I mean, on top of the on top of all the physical wear and tear in the ring. A lot because a lot of these are really big men and women as well. I mean, imagine being like the big show and having to fly around on an airplane 300 times a year. You know what I mean? Like on top of all of the actual wrestling, on top of having to go to the gym before you go to the show so that you're in good enough shape, like physically, like to uh, present yourself on television. Because if you're not physically presentable, Vince McMahon's not going to use you. doesn't matter how good you are at wrestling. You got to look the part as well. So like, there's so much that goes into it that people don't fully understand it. And, and WWE is, they're, they're no saints. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of issues I have with the WWE and how they run their business because there's other companies that I think do it in a much more uh, logical way that like, that really helps their performers out. But WWE's obviously been the most successful over time. So like there's definitely a seesaw to it, but, but you're definitely right. Like, I mean, I, I, I have not met one professional wrestler that doesn't that doesn't wrestle with injuries. Like every single one of them does. So yeah, and 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 like you were saying, Andre the Giant, he he used to have to poop in showers, like when he was yeah, the literally, mm-hmm. literally, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, you're you're on the you know this is the other thing too. I was watching this great documentary. I can't remember who the guy was about, but it was Beyond the Ring, the, the that show. Oh, and Dark Side of the Ring. Dark Side nice. of the Ring. It might have been. And it was just talking about how this guy, um, you know, when when Vince McMahon or, or or the promoter or whoever's running the 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 wrestling company decides to change your character, that it's it's almost like you've established, you know, your identity through the amateur to to professional, and you've created like you've you've created your character of who you are, and then someone says, oh, by the way, now everyone's going to hate you because you're a heel, right. And it's a clash with identity. It's like how much negativity can a person truly take without, you know, embodying it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the WWE is really the only company that really does that, um, where they'll take the main reason they do it, to be honest, it's, it's a greedy decision. Um, and I understand why they do it, but it's for those of you who, who don't know, I'm assuming most people who watch this won't have any clue about like what I'm talking about. So like with, uh, with the WWE, they want to they want to own your name for copyright reasons, and so like they'll change your name, even if it's someone like Brian Danielson who who performs on the WWE under the name Daniel Bryan. I mean, clearly that's his own name reversed. With like you know, it's Dan, Brian Danielson is known as Daniel Bryan, and the only reason for that is because the WWE wants to own all the copyright to that name and that and that performer. So if, if Brian Danielson winds up, you know, working for AEW, for instance, which is like their main competition in the U.S. right now, run by Cody Rhodes, who we went to high school with, um, there, if, if he was to go to that company, he, would, he couldn't call himself Daniel Bryan. Now, for someone like that, not a big deal because the name's so similar, but there is a lot of performers, countless, hundreds of them, that like, if they were to leave the WWE especially if they've been there for a long time and especially if they didn't really have much of like a presence on the independent scene beforehand, if like people really only knew them from the WWE and then they wind up somewhere else afterwards and have to use a completely different name, 
a lot of people just aren't going to put two and two together and like even realize it's the same person. You're way less likely to, to buy merchandise with that other name on it and stuff like that. So, so, so it, it, it sucks for the performers. Like it, it even happened. I remember it happened. One of the biggest examples was like years back, the Dudley boys. I'm sure you remember them. From the oh, yeah. When they left, they had to be called team 3d. And like, instead of Bubba Ray Dudley, it was brother Ray. And instead of Devon Dudley, it was brother Devon. It was like, Clearly, it's the same people in the same character, but they can't use the name the Dudley Boys, which is, like, ridiculous because everybody knows them as the Dudley Boys, but WWE owns the name. So that's kind of just a little backstory and kind of how that works. Um, what, do you, what do you know about Vince McMahon? Because I'm just fascinated by the guy, but I haven't seen any documentaries. Or is, He seems like a strong character with a strong business sense. What do, you, do you know anything about his character or his... The, the way he works i mean you hear a lot of stuff about him but they're like you're right though there's very little out there and most of what is out there like in the public is super negative like it'll be him on like real sports on hbo or whatever like bullying the reporter for asking about certain things about wrestling and stuff like that or it'll be him on like and obviously he's been put in a really bad position a lot of times with like like when the like chris benoit for instance he was a wrestler who very, very popular wrestler, one of the best in-ring workers of all time, killed himself and his family back in, like, 2007. And when that all was going on, you know, Vince had to do the rounds on, like, Nancy Grace and, like, CNN, like, whatever. You had to go on, like, all these talk shows. And, of course, he's being painted as the bad guy who's, like, enabling all this stuff where, you know, it's, it's really hard to know, like, he, he's clearly an incredibly intelligent guy to, like, do what he's done for that industry. Um, but you know, you also hear the stories about like, I mean, I, I kid you not, there are, there are stories out there that have been verif verified by people in the room, like multiple people where like Vince is so crazy that like, in such like a, he's uh, so controlling that like, if he'll, if he's, if this man himself sneezes during like a board meeting, he'll end the meeting and leave the room. Like he's so embarrassed that he didn't mean to sneeze that he'll, He's, he'll end stuff and just like get away from people like that's how because he didn't because he didn't choose to sneeze and he doesn't understand how how he could have sneezed without wanting to like that's that's the level of like crazy he's dealing with wow that is fascinating dude yeah i think of yeah. people like vince mcmahon it makes me think of valve corporation you know the the gaming company that has yeah counter-strike and all yeah yeah, because they're, they're super, like, they don't give a fuck about what anyone thinks or says or journalists, and they'll do things because they have to sometimes, but they're really a self-contained, no information gets out of their, their organization, and they just do what they know to do and what they want to do. Yeah, and they need to free Brax. I don't know if anyone's watching this right now who, who follows Counter-Strike, but uh, Brax, a.k.a. Swag, he's, like, the best Counter-Strike player of all time. He's, like, 10 years younger than us, and he's banned for life for some shit he did when he was like 14. It's like, really? It's Valve. You know, I, I know, it, I know, I know about Valve. We can, we can talk about video games and fucking streaming and all that stuff. Like I, I got the finger on the pulse on that also. What happened with this kid? What did he get banned for? Um, so years back, uh, there was a, a major Counter-Strike Go tournament and, or CSGO, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. And uh, it was a team called um, I Buy Power. And it was like the, Basically, it was like a, the, to, without getting like too into it, 
the United States had never won the major before, which is like winning, basically winning the World Cup of Counter-Strike. So the U.S. is always fairly lowly ranked because you have like, you know, like the Koreans and like, you know, there's people who are like way better at some, like, like StarCraft is like a perfect example. Like you can't fuck with like the Korean StarCraft players. They're just so much better than the United States players. It's not even close. Oh, yeah. There are theories out there that StarCraft II was run by the Korean government. You know what I mean? Like, that they were using it as, like, a way to, like, get power over everybody else. <laughs> but uh, but for CSGO, the I Buy Power team, I can't remember the full team, but I know it consisted of Brax, this guy Skadoodle, whose real name is Tyler. Um, uh, who else was on it? Dazed, I want to say. Um, oh, who was the other guy? Anyway... There was, there was five players, and four of them got banned for life. One of them slid by without any, any uh, consequence. And basically what they did was, it's so stupid to think about, but within the world of Counter-Strike, there's a lot of money in skin trading, buying, and gambling. gambling. So, like, you know, and you know what I'm talking about with, like, you know, different colored weapons and... Loot crates, yeah. yeah yes. So there were some really, really valuable Counter-Strike skins that they were offered to throw a, a really big Counter-Strike game. And they threw the game and accepted the skins. And, and four of the five players got the skins. The story is that the guy who was doing the payouts didn't have the fifth set of skins. And that's the only reason Skadoodle, which is the guy who got away with it. He, <laughs> of uh, course, Skadoodle gets away Skadoodle, with it. <laughs> right. He, uh, he he never got his skins because they didn't have enough. And the like, the real I mean the the story that I've heard from people that know more about it than I do is that Skadoodle didn't want anything to do with it to begin with. But there's nothing you can do to stop it. Like when four of your five teammates are throwing the game, like you can't win by yourself anyways. Um, and then Skadoodle, crazily enough, because uh, that team got caught, they all got banned aside from him. And then Skadoodle wound up signing with uh, Cloud Nine, and then that Cloud Nine team he was on actually wound up winning the major few years later so like they were the first american team to ever win it he was a part of it and he's the only one who didn't get banned but brax aka swag is the kid i'm talking about who everyone's like everyone's sympathetic towards because it's like this kid was like one of the best players in the world at as a teenager i mean he and he's still absolutely incredible he just can't compete in, in battle sponsored events mm. uh and but but see the big silver lining for those guys is like Valorant just came out, which is very similar to Counter Strike, mm-hmm. and all these guys that are banned on Counter Strike are jumping down on Valorant and getting their getting their clout back, which is great. So, um, but uh, I don't advocate cheating, but I also don't necessarily advocate like lifetime bans after like one fuck up, like you know maybe serve a couple of years, but like lifetime bans is, is a bit bit too much in my opinion yeah it reminds me of that dude uh, i don't know if you know this dude's story the dude that started silk road back mm-hmm. in the day he, he started the website that allowed you to trade with bitcoin essentially and you could you could hire prostitutes you could buy drugs you could actually hire people to murder people it was a completely open free market economy on the internet for the first time that was not litigated by taxes or law enforcement and you're talking about like le- real legitimate murder like somebody going and actually killing a real person all yeah all he did but what he did was he just created the website for these transactions to be made and he took off all restrictions 
Gotcha. So people would post on there just like Craigslist. People would post up, you know, I want my, you know, ex-wife whacked. And then right. they would communicate with people. Like that's, they're one-off cases, but the, the newspapers and the journalists really ran with those. Uh, and it was, more, it was more often like buying and selling narcotics, essentially, is, is probably where the brass mass amount of, but anyway, the kid, the kid basically, they threw the book at him, 19-year-old kid who started this website. And he's in jail for life. His um, mm. only ever offense uh, because he started a website that gave people the freedom to do that. It's not like he told them to do it or anything. But that's what I'm right. saying is like I kind of agree with you. It's like, you know, we'll t we'll, I don't know. It, we it's it's. No, I'm with you. Like it's it's fu it's it's fucked up that people could do that. But at the same time, like that's kind of the whole idea of the internet to begin with was like that concept was like free free open world do whatever you this isn't real life anyways it's fucking internet but but with i can understand though like i get there's got to be some sort of repercussion but i don't know about life in jail i don't think he's a really smart guy he could probably be fucking coding for the government or something could be helpful in some way you know and, and that's the thing with banning i mean everyone makes mistakes we all make mistakes the idea that someone could be penalized for their the entire their entire life you know unless you're yeah. leroy drinkins on world of warcraft you know like there's nothing, there's nothing too bad to be done. I mean, cause I don't know, we're, we're just trying to make sense of this stuff as we go. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm already, I'm going to have a, there will have been an introduction with this, but I want to kind of go backwards uh, a little bit and get more of your story. You know, you're, you host the fight talk podcast and, and you're on fight. You do all the, the pro wrestling and uh, commentating interviews. I want to start from the very beginning because you mentioned your brother and your brothers started a boxing gym. And that's, you know, that's incredible given his story. And then also your story as well. I want to get back to, you know, what it was like for you growing up and, and, you know, what brought you to now, you know, doing what you essentially what you love. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, without giving like my entire life story, like I would say, I mean, I had a good upbringing. Like, we were both from the same area. Like, plenty of opportunity and shit. You know, like, there's... But there was also, like, the other side of it that you saw. I mean, we all saw um, where, like, you know, a bunch of middle-class kids with expendable income and just killing time doing stupid shit. Um, but I don't know. My upbringing was... I mean, I don't really know how to describe it. Like monetarily we were always fine like my dad always made good money and stuff like that so like we never had to worry about anything like on that end but like my mom died of breast cancer uh on, actually on my 14th birthday as crazy as that is like as far as like the timing is like just unreal but uh may 22nd 2002 so that's coming up soon but uh that was obviously a big hit that happened right before high school started so in my in my mind what I would have liked to do was just like disappear for like two years. Like I remember like kind of talking to my dad about it a little bit too and being like, I just really don't want to go to high school. Like I, like, I don't want to be around people. I just like, I just need to get away and like, like just do something else. Cause I knew like when I got back to school, people were going to like know that this had happened. And like, I didn't want like the sympathy, even though it's kind of a weird, it's a weird thing. Like now it wouldn't be, it'd be different now. Like I just, I see things differently now. So like, I don't know, but I just remember like not wanting to go to high school at all. Um, but like kind of having to, just kind of having to like deal with it. Um, and then the stuff with my brother got really bad after my mom passed away also. 
Um, he has a condition called dystonia, which is really similar to Parkinson's. And it's basically triggered by trauma. So like, we didn't know that he had the gene at all. Um, and when my mom passed away, it like fucked him up neurologically. And he went from like star athlete to like almost confound to a wheelchair. Like it was close. Um, and so he got two brain surgeries, um, and without getting too detailed into what they do in those surgeries, um, they're risky, but like the reward was worth the, the risk. And he, uh, he made a full recovery. And, and what you were talking about before is now he, he own, he's a part owner of uh, steel boxing and athletics here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so he's doing great things. And he, and he, he works with the Parkinson's foundation, like helps, you know, older people that are dealing with Parkinson's because he, he obviously understands like the involuntary mo- movements and stuff like that, that they, that they can be experiencing and how to correct that or make it easier for them. Um, so that's kind of where all that, I don't know, that's kind of like, I guess like the basis of like everything for me is like seeing those kind of things happen, but also knowing like, I'm not going to be satisfied. Like, I mean, I worked like retail for like a decade. You know what I mean? Like it was like, well, wait, wait a second before you move forward. How did you, how did you cope with the passing of your mother? And then what's happening to your little brother? Like, do you remember how you felt and how you thought on a day? I mean, we both went to the same high school. We, we knew yeah. the same people, you know, Griffin, Jason. And wh- how did you, what was your, your coping skill or how did you process through all that stuff? Do you remember smoked what shit, like? Smoked a shitload of weed, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know how else to put it. I started smoking weed when I was 14. Uh, still do every day. Uh, I, I, and that's not all of it and that, you know, but I, a part, that went hand in hand, um, coincidentally enough with like becoming really good friends with like friends I'm still friends with. Like, uh, a lot of people from like wrestling, like Jason Thornberry just mentioned, like one of my best friends and met him through wrestling. And I, that was another part of it too. I was a terrible amateur wrestling. My, 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 uh, my record was shit. Like, but it was something to kind of like keep my mind off other shit. And it was also a way of just like getting, getting it out, like going out there and just trying to like wrestle somebody and like, you know, like you just like pent up like frustration or energy or negativity or whatever. I can just, or, or even just the practices themselves. Steve Day would beat the shit out of us so bad during practice on a daily basis that like there was no time to even think about like the other shit going on in my life. I was just thinking about like surviving practice, you know? So like there was, there was that kind of stuff. Um, and then like throughout college, same, same kind of thing. A, a lot of weed. Uh, Wait, before you, before you go to college, I got to ask you, did you, did you hear the, did, did coach day really play the recording of Devlin leaving a voicemail? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it was like something along the lines of like, Oh my God, I still remember that. Yeah, this is the story I know. Uh, Devlin, Devlin was all fucked up, and, and he decided not to wrestle anymore. So he, he called Coach Day, and, and the voicemail goes off. You know, this is Steve Day. Leave a message. And Devlin goes, <laughs> uh, hey, Devlin, this is, uh, this is Coach Day. <laughs> yeah, yep, you're right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to wrestle anymore, essentially. Yeah, I, I remember him saying something like – and this is, for those of you who don't know, this is, like, one of the best wrestlers, like – in like the state who just like up and quit to fucking get drunk after school or whatever he was doing. (laughs) 
Dude, but like about the skook, dude. <laughs> guy was an animal. I'd be interested to talk to him like now, because like I remember the last few times, I, like I was not a fan of his. By the time I like went off to college and shit, I was like, this guy's a fucking racist, fucking not racist, but like he's an he, asshole. He was a total asshole. Total. Yeah. Asshole. Um, I I'd say the best metaphor for him is if you've ever seen Train Spotting, he's like Begbie. The one dude. I haven't seen that. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's it's a great movie, but it's the one guy that's in the, in, that's in the crew who just is a dick. He's he's just oh. a dick. He's just rude to people. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, he'll like make fun of you for being Jewish, and then when you try to defend yourself, he'll like bear hug you till you can't breathe. <laughs> and like that's like that's like his move, dude. His mating habits, bro. Have you ever seen it? Like he'll literally when he when he would find a girl he liked, he would literally like like wrestle him in the pool and choke him out. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I remember. I remember so much shit like that. Because these were like the people we hung out with. Like even though like I didn't like Devlin, I was like around him a lot. Like it was like I remember Hunter being the same kind of way. Except Hunter, I always kind of like got a lot. I still talk to Hunter occasionally, but like I remember him being kind of the same way. Where we'd all be like at the pool and they'd like find a girl that they like and like dunk their head under the water and be like, huh, "Who likes eating water?" Like, <laughs> It's like, it's like we're acting, yeah, we're acting like, well, I mean, I guess we were kids, you know, it's like. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we that we were, and, you know, we were all, I mean, we're all underage drinking and getting high, and, like, I mean, fucking, the red light special, I remember that, that was oh you. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like we're, none of us are, like, innocent here. We In Adam's car, I'll put you on blast, Adam had the, uh, had the fake Walmart uh, spinning rims, like the spree wells. And um, when we get to red lights, we'd all get out of the car and like blast the music up and we just like dance at red lights. And like our people's parents we knew were like watching us and like probably teachers and like police officers and shit. And we were so stupid. Like we didn't care because like we knew when we got over to so-and-so's house, we were just going to fucking spark the bong anyway. So who fucking cared? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no, we used to do a whole bunch of shit like that, which I mean, in hindsight, it's, it's actually like, kind of really funny to think about, but uh, um, but yeah, anyway, with Devlin, he, I do remember when he called to quit, quit the team, and he said something along the lines of like, I just need to quit so I can do better. <laughs> Everyone was like, what the fuck? How drunk is this fucking guy? <laughs> like 16, and like school just got out. And like smashed, call, quitting the team. It's like so random. <laughs> uh, the biggest uh, disappointment I think I've ever seen, as far like, I don't know if you remember Brian McNitt, but oh, yeah. um, really cool guy. Like, I always, like, I never knew him super well, but like, he was on the wrestling team and like, I, we practiced together and stuff. And he was always super fucking cool to me. Like, I have no problem with him at all. Like, he's probably still a great dude. Like, um, but it was such a bummer because, you know, he was a two-time state champion and did kind of the same thing. He just, he just up and quit his, his junior year. And I don't know if it was like a combination of like not having the grades and quitting, but he, it was like one of those same kind of things where like we lived in this area where we were so fucking overprivileged that people just, they would have like, have it all like right in the, in their, the palm of their hands and just fuck it all up because like there was no other. Because there was there was like very little foresight. I feel like. Well, that's if you're we're talking. This is, seems to be a common theme, dude. Especially after Keaton last week. But it's like if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we had everything met from the get go. Like we right. had we had the the love, the care, the security, 
and literally like we're in an environment where everyone's got cash and nobody wants for anything. There is no struggle. And it's like, shit, where do you go from there? Like what's, there's no, there's not really a next level if you're taken care of and everything's good. Like it seems to be a common theme. And yeah. so and I think it was really, we self-destruct to an extent. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it was really apparent when like, so I moved away, I've moved a couple of times. So like I, I went to, you know, well, we can talk about college and stuff, but like I've moved around. I've, I've lived in Florida. I lived in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, I've lived in Daytona beach, whatever, like over the years. And I'm back in Atlanta now. And I'm glad I am. Cause I like, I really, I just wanted to be back around family again because everyone's kind of real close together. And um, but the reason I bring that up is because a lot of the people that um, I think showed the biggest signs of what we're talking about never left Atlanta. They like never left East Cobb. Like it's all, it was like, I mean, they didn't know what to do. Like I would see people on Facebook and stuff where it's like, you know, they're like at the time, you know, 25, 26, whatever. And like, I'm pretty sure they're still hanging out at like, the fucking Wendy's across the street from Park 12 movie theater. You know what I mean? It's like still doing like the same shit. Like, cause they never, they never were like forced to like get out and like fucking and figure it out. That's kind of the biggest thing I could say is like a lot of, I think a lot of people when they're like overprivileged and they just get comfortable, they never look farther than that. And they're just like, Oh, okay, well yeah, I'll just keep doing the same thing. Like the party's never going to end. And then before you know it, you're like in your mid twenties or your thirties and like you haven't grown up and like you have a job that you hate or like whatever it is. And like, you haven't seen the world. You have, I think the best way to like figure out who you are as a person is just to be alone for a while, like live by yourself or, or find a, a, something you're into that like makes you really think and figure out who you are because I think a lot of people don't do that. And, and it's, and I think a lot of it comes from, uh, from that just kind of being overprivileged and, and never really getting out, never really like aspiring to, to, to do anything more. I don't know. I don't really know how else, to, how else to say it. No, no. I mean, I was, I was guilty of that. That was literally what happened to me because everything I'd ever wanted was always given to me. And if I just put in, if I just put in a, a, a little bit of effort, I got through like, and, and I got to where, you know, I made it to call, you know, I just, I didn't know like what, what's the point of anything and where, how do you, what, I couldn't figure out how what I even really wanted because right. I just you know I, I just did what I thought we were supposed to do and then I got high and drunk and stoned and then you know you from in my just what happened to me is I wake up you know I wake up like you described at my parents' house uh, totally broke totally addicted to something and just like wondering well, how did this fucking happen you know because like it's only after now that I can look back and reflect like we're saying and realize, Oh, the stage was set. Like I never, you know, you, I watch films like Rocky and I watch, you know, films where, where somebody is, is, is stacked against the odds and they have, they literally have to will and put effort and energy into getting out of their shitty situation. And you hear it all the time with artists or, or musicians or even wrestlers who, you know, they just, they, they had to do something. They're going to the gym, pumping iron. You're going to the gym and pumping iron, you know, because you're trying to make something of yourself to get out of where you're at or do something for your family. And it's like, yes. shit, we were taken care of. Right. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because like, that's, that was also a big part of my motivation for like me doing like what I be, like eventually started doing, where it was like, 
even though I was like, you know, I, I left Atlanta and I was, you know, working and I was working all these jobs that paid me very well, but I was not happy. And that was a big part of it was like thinking, well, growing up in East Cobb, like you're always just kind of taught, like get a good job, get married, you know, white picket fence, like the whole cliche kind of thing is like kind of the goal of life. So that's what I thought it was like. So I was out and making money doing jobs I fucking hated, but I was making good money. And like, and eventually I realized like, I would rather make no fucking money and pursue something that I enjoy. And if I do that, I have no choice but to succeed because I'm not going back to working a fucking nine to five job. So I need to figure this out and, and, and that and it, it forced me into the kind of situation you just kind of said, where it's like, I either need to make this happen or like your back's against the wall. Like you have no other, you have no choice but to succeed because otherwise you, you know what the, what the alternative is and you don't want to go back to the alternative. Yeah. That's what the Greeks used to do when they would, or the Romans or the Spartans. I can't remember which one, when they would arrive at wherever they were going to conquest, they burned their boats. They literally burned the ships that brought them to the shore. Everyone that was going to start fighting forward knew you're not going home. You're not going back until you achieve until your mission is accomplished yeah i i i think that's very uh very relatable for sure so what so what was it so you're in college you, you get your degree you get out of college you go get a job a jobby right <laughs> yeah 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 a hobby job yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i've never i've never heard that before but that's good uh and so you're so you're ass- essentially you're in that cage as well is like you're you're following the what we were led or what we think we're supposed to do you know now i guess i need to get on tinder right i got to find a wife or i got to find a girlfriend i get i mean what else is there to do so you're kind of just you know would you say about 10 years you were working something like that and also i have to be fully transparent like these were also years where i was like drinking heavily i was uh i shouldn't even admit it but i was taking like a lot of klonopin and stuff like that which like initially was for anti-anxiety, but then like became more like for fun. So like, so there, so I was dealing with like substance issues on top, but a lot of the stuff, I hate to like make an excuse, but like a lot of the substance issues was because I fucking hated my job in my life. And I was like, when I got off work, I just wanted to escape. And that was what I think a lot of people deal with. No, I, I, I totally, yeah. I mean, that's, we seek escape because we don't like where we are and who, and maybe I don't want to say we don't like who we are, but we don't know who we are and we don't know how to figure that out. I, yeah, I completely agree. And that's, that's just kind of, that's kind of where it was at. So like I went to Georgia Southern for college, I got a degree in sport management um, and I minored in coaching and business as well. So I had, so I knew coming out of college, I would have some sort of options at some point in the future in, in sports, if like something came up that I was interested in. And um, I will say college fucking ruled. Like I, I loved going to Georgia Southern. I, I it was the exact opposite of, of last year high school for me. Like I hated going to high school. I, I, and it's not necessarily like the people. I just, I wasn't in a good frame of mind for like those four years. And, um, college was awesome. I would recommend Georgia Southern to anybody who wants to get a legitimate, like my, the, the sport management degree that I have actually is very valuable because like they have a very good sport management program there. And so it's like, you can get a good education there. Statesboro is a great town. You can go to the pool like 80% of the year. Cause it's like always, you know, pot out. Like it's, it's a, gr- it was great. But then I, but then college ends 
And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? So I didn't have a clue. I literally, I, well, so I interned for the Nashville Sports Council. That's the first time I moved to Nashville. I needed to, to do an internship to finish my degree. So I went to Nashville, I went to Nashville and I worked for the Nashville Sports Council in downtown. And that was six months. And they didn't offer me a job at the end of it because they just didn't have openings. It was an operation that was run by like six people and there just, there just wasn't openings. Uh, so I was like, okay, well now I'm out in the real world. I have a degree. I have no income. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. So, um, my friend who, you know, as well, Daniel Sowerson was working for the Orlando magic at the time, the NBA team. And I, basically hit him up and I was like, Hey man, if I move down to Orlando, at least I know somebody and I know that there's some jobs down there that I could probably get. They don't, they don't have to do with sports, but like, I know there's a lot of jobs because like the, there's so much tourism and stuff in Orlando that there's just always jobs. So I, uh, I wound up taking a front desk job at the Peabody hotel as my first like real job ever. And, uh, I still keep the, one of the pens from the front desk on my, on my desk here at work. Like I like, I like to remember where I came from. I still keep, I have like my, all my old, like all my old work badges from like all my old jobs and shit. Um, Cause I like to look at it and just be like, man, like, even though I didn't like those jobs, it really, it really shaped me and helped like guide me where I wanted to be. Um, so I did that for like six months. I hated that job, fell in love with some chick that like, I totally screwed up because of my alcohol problems, hundred percent on me. And Daytona um, beach for a job with AT&T. Um, and that was my first job where I'm making like real money. Um, I was like 21 making like 60, $70,000 a year. Cause I was very, I was very good at sales and I did that, but I did a mixture of like retail between AT&T, T-Mobile, and then later massage envy, which is totally random. But one of my favorite jobs I've ever had in my life, I managed uh, massage envy. And those were all basically retail jobs. And, uh, the, I don't know, it would take way too long to go through all this, but to make it all a lot shorter, basically throughout my time at AT&T and T-Mobile, I liked my job at Massage Envy, but that was really more so to supplement while I was working on my podcast and stuff. Like they gave me a really easy schedule so that I could do both. Um, with, with AT&T and T-Mobile, I was sitting around like, this fucking sucks. Like every day I'd wake up and just I'd be so nervous. I, I threw up almost every morning. Like I'd wake up just like, Oh, just feeling sick. And just like, I got to go do this again and talk to all these people that just have all, cause every, every interaction back then would start with, you know, you'd be like, Hey, I'm Steven. Welcome to ATT. How can I help you? And they'd be like, my fucking phone is broken. Fuck you. Fuck this company. They like throw their phone against the wall. And then like, instead of my natural reaction, just being like, you know, in my head, I'm just thinking, you should totally just like try Verizon then. Like if you have all these problems somewhere else. And, but my job was to keep the people there, fix their problems and then upsell them. So like not just fix the problem, but then I had like manager behind me with a fucking, with a literal, uh, uh, what do you clipboard, uh, noting whether I'm like offering certain products and services. So like in my mind, I'm just like happy that I'm like fixing guys problem, but then I'm taking a fucking reaming in the back for not selling him like protection plans and, and cable television and home phones in the year 2013 or whatever. It's like all, all this kind of shit. And I was just so fucking over it. 
I went through their retail management development program. Like they put me through Harvard business classes for free because like they wanted to groom me into management and like all this stuff. And by the time I got to that point, I was like, I was so fucking burned out. So in my mind, I always knew like, I want a job in professional wrestling or mixed martial arts or both. And eventually I started doing my podcast, which is like where, where things like started to finally get figured out. And this is important just to note to someone who may be listening. The thing about the podcast that's really special is it gives you an excuse and a platform to talk to people that you want to talk to. Yes. It creates connections and it's a, it's a valuable experience of self-discovery as well as discovery of other people. It's like, it's, it's a great means of communicating and learning from each other. Just to give a segue to someone who's wondering, you know, what's the point of a podcast? How do I make money? Blah, blah, blah. None of that fucking matters. It matters because you get to talk to the stuff that matters to you and you get to learn more about it. It opens doors. We just don't know what those doors are. Yes, I agree a thousand percent. And, um, and the money part doesn't matter, but it does help to have some income coming in with a podcast, obviously, because then it makes it a little bit more worth the time that you put into it. But I would say for anybody starting a podcast, don't worry about those things. I, I made the mistake of trying to monetize my podcast way too early. Um, I thought it was a good idea at the time. Um, I did sell a good amount of t-shirts at first, but the majority of the people that bought merchandise bought it right away. And then like, didn't buy more when I put more out and it wound up costing me money. So like, but I, those are things I had to figure out as I was going, you know, um, made it kind of a risk and it didn't work out, but it is cool that, you know, there are my, my t-shirts are out there and stuff like that, but it wasn't like a viable business strategy. Um, I would, I would recommend people do, and this may be a good recommendation for you as well. Um, with like a newer podcast, what, what I did was I started reaching out to, uh, like some, some sponsors that are still with my show to this day, you know, three years later, four years later, whatever, where like they're smaller, they're smaller, uh, businesses, but they're willing to exchange, either goods or a little bit of money for, uh, for basically outside ads. What I would consider inside ads is like if you're on YouTube and uh, like Google AdSense, you're getting money from that because Google's playing ads on your videos. I consider it like an inside. An outside would be like, um, for instance, I have a, a, a sponsor called Heroes and Legends and they're a professional wrestling uh, memorabilia and uh, toy autograph company out of Nashville. And my exchange with them is very simple. Every couple months, they send me a big box of toys and autographs, and I uh, I keep some for myself, and then I give the others away to fans, and it's mutually beneficial. Um, I'm not getting money, but I'm getting some cool stuff to throw in my office, and people are happy because I give away free stuff on my show every now and then. Um, Williamson Brothers Barbecue. I knew Sawyer from high school. They have a great, they're my favorite barbecue in the world that's like legitimate. Like I'm not making that up just because they've helped the show out. I think they do great stuff. Um, my exchange with them, I believe they were paying me a hundred dollars every three months or something like that, which for a company like that, it's like nothing, you know, like they make a lot of money. So they're like giving me like a hundred bucks and they give me like a pallet of barbecue sauce um, with the money. So I just had like unlimited Williamson Brothers sauce that I'd use for myself because I love to cook. Um, and then there's also, uh, I'd give stuff away. I'd go to wrestling conventions with fucking barbecue sauce. And that's how like people started like to know me. It was like, I'd show up at like a booth where like a wrestler is like signing autographs or whatever. Like, Hey, I'm Steven. I do a show called fight talk. If you ever have time, like I would love to have you on my show. 
And also, here's some free barbecue sauce. <laughs> nice, dude. Um, so, like, those kind of things. I, I have, at the, at the moment, I have three sponsors um, that I, I love to death who I would never change our deal. Like, at this point, I could get more money because I have enough of, a, like, of an audience that I could definitely get more money for the sponsorships. But why, why, why do that? Like, the pe- these people were with me from the beginning when they didn't have to be. Um, I'm totally fine with our deals. Um, so I've never tried to change any of that. Um, but are you, are you able to live comfortably off of all the stuff that you're doing? So I'm able to live comfortably because I work for MMA on point. That's the, that's the main source of my income. And that's the main source of what I do most of the week. Um, for those of you who don't know, MMA on point is in my opinion, it's the number one YouTube channel for mixed martial arts in, in the world. I firmly stand behind that. And we recently got credentialed for UFC events. So we have people who go backstage and interview fighters at the shows, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, I basically have, have over time, and this is another long story that we can get into a bit, but like I've, I've become a, a video editor essentially. Like I edit videos the majority of the week and they go um, on YouTube. And uh, like my top video had like three and a half million views. Like there's like people are, a lot of people are watching the, the videos we're putting out and we're getting like a lot of, a lot of traction. I think we have like 700,000 subscribers now and we've been out for like two years. So like we're, that's, that's where the majority of my focus is. But if I hadn't done my podcast, I would have never got my job with MMA on point. I'll, I'll tell that story if you want me to. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep going. You're, so you're at, you're at, uh, so you're working at this place. You've got uh, the, not the Verizon store, but the, what, what store was it? AT&T. And then later I did business sales for T-Mobile. T-Mobile. But then eventually you get to Massage Envy and Massage Envy gives you the, the flexibility to work on what you love. Yes. So I had worked at Massage Envy already. Um, I quit my job at at and So funny how things work out. Like, so I, I got fed up with my job at AT&T. Um, and I essentially just quit. I had saved enough money that I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm never going to be able to spend this money. And like, I mean, it's going to take me months to spend all this money. Like I'll find another job. Like I just need to get out of this situation. I hate it. Um, so I was running out of money because I didn't get a job for a while. And I was literally just drinking at a pool in Nashville with one of my friends. And this girl with very large bosoms bosoms came up to us and asked if she could have uh, a couple of our drinks. And I was like, sure. And then she just winds up like, winds up talking to us for a while. And she's like, asking what to do for work. And I was like, I literally just quit my job. And I was doing uh, basically sales management at AT&T for however many years it was at the time and she was like oh um we have an opening for management positions at um at massage envy and i was like that's kind of not really my wheelhouse but i did have a membership to massage i love getting massages so i had a membership to massage envy so i I knew about the business a little bit and um (laughs) i went in and interviewed like the next day and wound up getting a job with them like on the spot and um there was some you know there was a little bit of a process there but eventually i wound up in a location in bell in bellevue um which is uh like the suburb and on the west side of nashville in the suburbs and um yeah I, I did that for a while i became like the regional sales manager where i was like helping all the front desk staff uh 
learn how to do membership sales and stuff like that. And I was doing it for like six little locations at, at one point. I was really invested in it. And then I, uh, I did that for a while. And then I wound up dating some girl and made the gigantic mistake of, so stupid. I basically quit my job at Massage Envy to accept the job at T-Mobile. I went back into that world because I felt like I needed to make more money because I was dating this girl. I was like, if I'm, if I'm going to be dating again, like I need to be able to like support going out on dates and blah, blah, blah. So I left the job I really liked for more money for someone else, which was a big mistake. Mm. Um, we wound up breaking up like right after I started the new job. So immediately I was like, what the fuck have I done? I wound up doing the job at T-Mobile for a while. And while I was doing that job, I don't really believe in, I don't know. We shouldn't talk about religion. I'm, pre- I'm probably very similar to you. I'm, I'm pretty agnostic. Um, but I, like, I believe in like a higher power, but like not necessarily like Judaism, Christianity, and like the, like there's way more to it to me, but whatever the hell is, is around (laughs) for me at that point, because my boss at T-Mobile, I walk in there the first day, it's this big call center and I walk by and he has fucking WWF action figures on his desk. And I'm like, hell yeah like my boss is a wrestling fan this is gonna be cake so i started talking to him and i'm like i'm like hey man i see the uh like the ultimate warrior and the randy savage on your desk and stuff and he's like oh yeah man it's a guy named paul brad he's still one of my best friends to this day he's like yeah man i uh you know they're like the leftovers from my kids you know like i, I buy them all this stuff because they like wrestling and i just take the extras and just so i put them somewhere and i was like oh well i like I do like a wrestling podcast and like, I'm like super into it. He's like, all right, all right I'll watch it every Monday, man. And then like, we like, we watch it. <laughs> so like, and th- so the next thing I know, and it, this doesn't matter because neither of us work for this company anymore. I would literally show up to work, clock in, me and my boss would go into a conference room and we would record wrestling podcasts all day. And I wouldn't do any real work. I would just sit there and just record fight talk. That's all I did. And uh, my boss would just, just, I mean, when it came to like sales numbers and shit, when he had like to report his stuff to like his boss, he would just constantly lie. He'd just be like, oh no, Steven's killing it. Like you don't need to even look at his stuff. Like I wasn't doing anything. I was just going in there and then he wound up getting fired. And then Wait, he got fired. Huh? He got fired. My boss, so they, they went through a big management change where like the main boss got fired and then he started really looking into things and realized, <laughs> oh wait, what's going on over here? Yeah. Um, so my boss got fired and then they started really strapping down on me. But the timing with that was perfect too because I wanted out of T-Mobile anyways. My boss had just left. I was so fed up with that company by the time I left and part of it's on me, but part of it is the way that they were managing things really pushed a lot of people out. Um, I had a key to the office. I went in there at midnight one night, just got all my stuff and left a fucking note. I didn't even give them like a two week notice. I was like, I am out. I, like, I, I didn't want anyone knowing I was leaving. I didn't tell anybody. I just went in at midnight. No one was in there, grabbed all my stuff and left a note saying I was never coming back basically. Huh. I left, I called, uh, the next day I called Gail Tenna, who was my old boss at Massage Envy, and basically told her like, hey, I'm pretty much going all in on my podcast, um, but I could really use supplemental income. Like if I could just come in and work like a day or two at Massage Envy, I think I could, 
I can make this work between between fight talk and I just started with MMA on point and then um having massage envy there. So so that's what I did. Um and it was it was a great job. I did that for like an, like another year or so. Um and then I got to the point where I was making enough money that I didn't need to keep going into massage envy and I wound up I wound up leaving, but leaving on very good terms. And and I and I'd like to shout out Gail because she was very, very, very important because if, if she hadn't given me that job at massage envy, I would have probably had to go back into like another nine to five type job where I would not have had time to do all this other stuff. So like she was, I very much appreciate her and her family and, and everybody involved um, for, for allowing me to do that. Cause it was like, I made my own hours. Uh, it never conflicted. I would bring in my laptop to massage envy and like big news broke. I would just like jump in the office and like write a little article for MMA on point and stuff while I was there. And like, she was totally cool with it. Man, that's awesome. I mean, it was even like this, man. Like, I didn't have a washer dryer at my old place because it was like an old building. I, I did my laundry at Massage Envy. I mean, I owed like a lot of like a lot of my a lot of things to Massage Envy. So like, I'll never say a, a bad thing about about mm-hmm. that building or that job. Like, and, it, and and the reason I say that is because there's a lot of people you would never think of something like that. Like, you know, I would have never thought that I would have ever had a job at Massage Envy or like liked it or anything i was one of like there's like maybe three guys to like 40 women i mean it's predominantly women's thing with like massage therapy and stuff so like i was i was like a i was like the minority big time in this situation i i fucking loved it it was it was a great job man that's so cool dude it's so important those people in our lives that 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 show up like that and i think you know, I, I've been I've been out of the country a few times, you know, and I think that there's this weird there's a weird perspective that we have in, as Americans that like all these stores that we see, fast food restaurants, massage envies, LA fitnesses, whatever we see, it's almost as if we compartmentalize it as like, oh, those are just these corporate entities or these are just these storefront shops. And when the reality is they're all businesses run by people and everybody's just trying to do the the best they can for themselves and their family. And you really get a sense of that overseas when you're going to a fast food restaurant or just like a, a anywhere. And you realize like, wow, like nobody looks down on anybody in positions of servitude or service. Like we, they just, they view things as everyone's equal to, especially in Israel. That's what it was like was, and I think it's because in Israel, everybody had to serve in the military for two years. Right. So it establishes this, this level of respect for country and, and, and the sanctity of human life that supersedes anything we may be doing outwardly that like, yeah, I totally agree. And I, and I think that a lot of that is showing here in the States uh, because of the pandemic, because a lot of the essential workers were people that people kind of look down on for like server type roles, like stuff like that. And they were the ones keeping the country fucking going these last couple months. Um, Cause I always have respect for that too, coming from working in retail. Like it really embarrasses me if I go out to, to dinner with somebody and they're kind of like talking down to like the, the server or something. I can't do it. I will leave a table. Like I will not sit there if someone's disrespecting someone who's providing a service. Yeah. Wait, well, yeah so, so you're at Massage Envy. You're doing what I did at Ridgeview. Well, I was at Ridgeview designing the shared space app. Like they were so awesome because they let me pick my schedule. Tanya, shouts out to Tanya. Let me pick my schedule. And like, I couldn't do it at high intensity situations, but any downtime I had the freedom to write. So I could, that's how I learned how to write was I was writing short stories and essays and nonfiction thoughts or, or designing schematics. 
any downtime I had, they were totally cool with me working in my cubicle on whatever I wanted to work on. And so like, yeah, it's, it's awesome when people, you see, that's the other thing too, is when I, and I think this is important for people to hear is when I entered that position, I did the same thing as you did. You know, they wanted, I went there and said, you know, I've got this dream. I'm designing this social software, this network. And, uh, it's, it's what I have to focus on, but I would love to be able to help here if you guys will have me, but it has to work with my schedule. Right. And so from day one, I kind of, I set that intention, you know, and then they, yeah. and they responded. And a lot of people, and I think I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here, but a lot of us, and I've been guilty of it too, is we're victim. We, we victimize ourselves to our circumstances and our surroundings, you know, and we just wait for things to want to happen for us. And, what, and something that's so powerful is when you decide what you know, what you want to do, and you put that out on the table, you know, the reality is people want to help. If the, yeah. You, yeah, you see a guy who's like, hey, you, I want to work here at this coffee shop, but I really am, I want to be a musician. I'm, I'm making my record. You know, I want to be touring one day, but I'd love to work here while I figure that out. Hell, dude, everybody wants to help a dream, you know? Yeah, I, that's a big part with like Gail and, and them who run Massage Envy was like, anytime something good would happen for me outside massage envy like they celebrated it like you know what i mean it was like they were always so happy like the day that i went in with my two-week notice to to leave massage envy gail was like so happy for me there was no resentment there it was because it was clear from the from the get-go like you know exactly what you just said like my my goal is to be doing this thing over here but i can't accomplish this without your help over here so I'll do whatever I can to help you. But once this becomes real, like I'm, I'm going to pursue that. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with dude. I, I mean, I've even done stuff where like, I've done like webinar type stuff for, uh, for groups that is similar kind of thing is like, uh, the kind of similar to what we're doing right now where I get on like a camera and like, just talk about, podcasting or like how to you know try to like reach your goals and stuff like that and i tell people all the time when i do stuff like that i'm like don't hesitate to like email me or something like like if you're if you have just some sort of proof that you're pursuing it like i will 100 percent help you with anything that i can possibly help because i think a lot of people they see like it's such a bad mindset to have but i think a lot of people see people doing stuff they want to do and just kind of like hate on it because they're like, well, that should be me. It's like, that can be you. Like there's room for you also. There's, there's no like set amount of people who can be successful at something. Like, you know, if, if you want to be the next Joe Rogan or whatever, like you, there's a billion, there could be a billion next Joe Rogan. Like there, there's, there's plenty of room for everybody doing all this kind of stuff. Oh. Yeah. And my, and my, my message is always like, how, how do we make the process enjoyable? So you're actually enjoying the journey because we're never going to be a Joe Rogan. We're never going to be a, a, a Paul Thomas Anderson, but we can be ourselves and we can, right. we can create a life that we like. That's the thing from the beginning of this conversation, dude, I've spent way too many moons, bro. Waking up, not wanting to be awake, you know, yeah. like I just, we've got one shot at this thing and it's like, it can be an experience that you want to get out of bed for. Right. And, and I, I realized when I realized I was having like a real problem with that kind of stuff was when I'd wake up and then go back to sleep. Like instead of like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and before you know it, it's like the middle of the day and you're like, 
your day is like wasted and then you feel shitty because you didn't accomplish anything and then like you just do the same thing the next day and like it's a it's a shitty cycle like that you just have to figure out how to break yeah and and we i understand it to the core you know it's like it's one of those things where you know i just don't know you know I, i can't like you know i work with people that are in the shit a lot of the times and sometimes it's just sometimes you're just in the shit you know yeah and uh and i'm on this new wavelength now where it's like i've got this i've got this i've had this i've had this stretch of of personal growth that seems to be happening and so i'm not debil i haven't been debilitated as regularly as i'm used to so any moments of downtime now i'm aware that i should be reading and listening to stuff that's going to help continue this momentum that i'm doing i should keep doing these podcasts i need to keep doing these things that are working it's like i've realized one thing will work why do i stop doing it it's because like i fall back into my old habits my lower self is like you know commandeers my reality um well and i also think it's admirable how like because the last time we talked you hadn't like you you had the idea that you wanted to be rapping but you weren't like really pursuing it heavily yet um and now i see videos of you out in front of people or like under a bridge or like wherever y'all are at like and just like out and about just like putting it out there which i like i I love seeing stuff like that because like why not you know who knows one of those people that rides their bike past you on the bridge might wind up being the biggest fan of your music and they would have never heard it had you not just been out there putting it out there and i think i think a lot of that too is like it's, there's a lot of vulnerability that comes along with it. Like to be, especially in like that world, like, I mean, let's, let's be real. I mean, you're a Jewish white kid rapping. That's like, there's not a lot of that. There is ginger, a ginger Jewish white kid. A ginger, a ginger Jewish white kid with rapping. With a lazy eye. With a, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> and, a, and, a half, and, and, a, and a previous <laughs> history of drug abuse. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't know anything really about your partner, uh, Patrick. He's a very good rapper. I just don't really know him. But you guys, uh, you guys play off each other very well. And I, and I think that, uh, I think what you guys are doing is great. And I think that that's another thing that people can look at and be like, it's okay to be vulnerable and like, go out and try it. Cause there's, you can, I mean, I don't, I don't think you'd lie about it, but like, there's no way that you felt comfortable doing that the first few times you did it. Hell no. You still might not be comfortable doing it. Bro, the only reason I could do it was because I was in so much pain in my depression that the, the 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 pain and the uncomfortability of rapping was a relief from the inter inner decrepit debilitating dark night of the soul that i was in it was like shit i was so fucking i was hurting so bad that this different kind of pain of total like it hurt to figure out how to rap it hurt to like i'd put the videos up i'd hide from the internet for three days i was terrified scared the whole time grabbing the mic the first time getting on stage it was dude it was Bro, it's one of those things, dude. It's crazy as shit. It's like, it was so scary for so long, you know? But now it's like, it's like the thing I love the most. Give me a microphone, dude. Let me get on stage. I want to rip it. For me, it's my martial art. It's like the the purest form of total self-expression for me. Because it's like all my heart and souls and the lyrics and the music and the instrumentals. We produced it. We created it all. And now we're on this stage and it's like, I can, I can let my body move just like, uh, you know, like judo moves or whatever the fuck wants to flail out when I'm doing it. And it's just, it's the shit. But, but honestly, like the whole process from our conversation from two years ago to now has just been me working through the fear. Like it's just been doing it. Cause I've, I was, I just, I got into the pain. Like you're talking about when the pain, what do they say? When the pain of changing 
is, uh, is uh, the fear of changing is greater than the, the pain of staying where you're at, you know, mm. kind of a thing. And it was just like, shit, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I really don't want to exist anymore. Um, I've been following my fears and they've always provided great results for these last few years. This is the last thing I'm afraid of. I guess I got to bite the bullet and try it. And, you, and that's the thing is like, you just never know what's on the other side. Yeah, 100%. Um, and kind of going back to like, I'll tell the story about how I got with Emily on point because it kind of like goes along with all this. Like, and this is where I think it's incredibly important. Like, if you're, I don't, I'm trying to think of the best way of saying this because I'll, I'll tell the story in a second, but like, a big part of the reason I'm able to do what I'm doing is because I was already doing a lot of these things when it didn't make me money. Like there's, there's a lot of people that I think are like you were saying before, they're kind of waiting for things to happen for them. But like, if that time comes where your dream job comes around and they're like, Oh yeah, we're interested in you. You seem like a good person. And like, I you know, really want the job. Um, can you just show us what you've been doing? Like to, be ready for this job. And like, if you don't have anything, then they're not going to really want to hire you because you don't really have anything to show. Like, you, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a billion pro wrestling fans out there. Like there's anyone can do a podcast. There's a, there's a ton of MMA fans out there. Like <coughs> if I, so, so for me, basically what happened is I, I was doing my podcast, <coughs> excuse me. I was doing my podcast, uh, fight talk and, uh, I don't remember how many episodes I was in at the time, but you know, I was interviewing independent wrestlers and like old wrestlers that I'd watched in like WCW and stuff that I was a fan of and like some UFC fighters and just other fans or just talking myself or whatever it is, just trying to get content out there. And, but like, not like bullshit content, but like, you know, I was interested in all this stuff and hope maybe other people would be interested also. And uh, basically one day I was, watching youtube i watch a ton of youtube um and i was watching a company i don't know if you're familiar with what culture yeah um they have a pro wrestling uh, like division and i was watching it was either what culture videos or cultaholic videos um they were, they were the same people but like to make a long story short a, a, a group of people from what culture went off to start their own youtube channel called cultaholic so i can't remember which one i was watching but uh, because of the YouTube algorithm, uh, it'll, you know, it'll play like random videos that are recommended. You know, if you're watching long enough, just more videos just keep playing. So it's, it's, how, you, it's, how, you get, it's how you get into a K-hole. <laughs> yes, big time. So I, uh, I, was, uh, I was just sitting there watching wrestling videos and then out of nowhere, these MMA videos started playing. And I was like, what is this? I was like, this looks a lot like what culture videos, but it isn't what culture. These videos are really, really good. Um, so I went on Twitter and I literally tweeted something out along the lines of like, if you're an MMA fan, you should definitely check this YouTube channel out. Like put a link to MMA on point on there. Thinking nothing of it other than like, hopefully some other MMA fans see this. Because at the time that I posted that, they had maybe like, five to 10 videos on their channel and like maybe five to 10,000 subscribers. Like it was still very, very small. And, um, I put that out there and then I got a DM from this guy, Jason Hartley, who is now my boss. And 
he hit me up and he was like, Hey man, thank you for the shout out. Um, we're like a new YouTube channel and, uh, any, any kind of publicity we can get, like helps us out a lot. And I was like, Oh, no problem, dude. Like this, the content's amazing. Like I, I love watching YouTube videos like this. And he was like, I saw on your profile, you live in Nashville, Tennessee. Cause you know, I was living in Nashville at the time. And I was like, yeah, I, I still live in Nashville. And he was like, Oh, that's crazy. I live in Clarksville, which is like 40 minutes away. So like, so anywhere in the world this guy could have lived, he lives like 40 minutes away from me and he runs this YouTube channel. So one thing leads to another and we wind up meeting at a Starbucks um, right up the street from where I was living. And we wound up talking for like two hours and he listened to my, my most recent podcast, which just happened to be about Conor McGregor. So he, so he listened to it and he like, he knew I was very knowledgeable about mixed martial arts, but I didn't really have any other kind of skill set other than being a fan doing podcasting. Um, but what they needed help with was social media. And I know Twitter well enough that I felt like I could help because they didn't really have any social media presence. Like they had like their Twitter was like non-existent. They didn't even have an Instagram yet, nothing like that. So they offered me a, it started off unpaid. It was just like an opportunity. It was like, Hey, can you like basically make us a Twitter and, uh, and the, the accounts were created, but like they weren't being used and they had very little. So it was like, hey, can you basically take over our Instagram and our Twitter? And um, we can't pay you right now because we don't make enough money. But like one day we would love to be able to pay you for this stuff. Um, but like we just, we just don't, we're just not making anything on the channel yet because it's so new. So we can't really pay people. And I was like, dude, I just want to, I just want to help. Like I just want an opportunity because I could see the potential of the channel. Mm. And um, after a few weeks, they started paying me a little bit of money, which, you know, very, very little. Um, and then that became more, and then just one thing kept leading to another, and I kept sticking with them. And throughout the process, I would go to Clarksville and meet with Jason in person. And he, over time, taught me how to do graphic design through Photoshop and uh, video editing through Adobe Premiere. So before I really knew it, I was like a competent like video editor and and graphic design guy. So I could make all these. Uh, like if you look at our Instagram, like I took it from no followers to where we are right now, which I think is close to like 90,000 followers on Instagram or something like that. And a lot, I mean, Jason deserves a ton of the credit because I didn't know how to do any of this stuff without him. And he taught me how to do it. So he doesn't, I mean, so it's one of those things where like, I just kept doing social media, social media, social media, that became like enough money that I was like, wow, I might be able to massage him kind of soon if I keep making this kind of money. And then on top of that, they started giving me videos to edit on my own. And I was making, I'm, and I still do that. And the, the money I make from the, from the videos um, is pretty good money, especially considering I do all my, I mean, you see where I'm sitting right now. Like I do all my work out of this little office in my own place. So like, you know, it's enough money to where I can pay my rent. I can still save money. Um, and I wake up every day and I just come to this, you saw it before we went live here, but like, I mean, I'm surrounded by action figures and autographs and a whole bunch of shit. So it's like my own little man cave. That's also my office, which, which, uh, so anyway, um, that's how it all happened. Like I, I happened to shout out some YouTube channel that I thought was good. I wound up getting a job out of it. I wound up getting pay increases enough times and developed enough new skills that it became enough money to, to just do it full time. And, uh, 
and also along the way, Fightful.com, which is like my favorite professional wrestling uh, news source. Um, I started doing, I, I still do to this day, every Sunday I do the Fightful Select Weekender podcast, which is like a part of their Patreon service, uh, where I just give my opinions on, on independent professional wrestling, basically, um, and a couple of promotions here and there. And it's like an hour of my time. And they pay me to do that too. So like, I'm getting paid from Fightful to do a podcast. I'm getting paid from my own sponsors to do my own podcast. And I'm making the majority of my money through MMA on point. So, and it's all done from, from right here. So that's, uh, that's kind of how it all happened. Man, dude. That's awesome. But anyone can do it. The, 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 the big takeaway is like, I would not have got the MMA on point job if I wasn't already doing my podcast. Like, cause they needed to know like, like, okay. Oh wow. Okay. I listen to your podcast. You know a lot about MMA. You've taken the incentive to do your own show. And like, I got like a logo and you know, like, not the merchandise really mattered, but like I had a whole thing like set up that I've been doing clearly for like very little money and stuff like I was doing because I loved it the the big pinnacle of my podcast of fight talk happened fairly recently and and I also I didn't even mention I, I do a YouTube show a couple of times a week now with this girl Jesse Davin who's a massive wrestling fan who's like incredibly knowledgeable so we do like a live chat a couple of times a week now on YouTube also which is kind of an extension of fight talk as well so we're uh in like super chats that's how we make most of our money on that stuff people just kind of like donating during the live stream yeah uh but without without that fan foundation of like doing these things, like there's no there would have been no reason for a man point to hire me. Like you can't just hire someone because you're just a massive fan. You have to have some sort of something to show, yeah. Like you're pursuing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some tangible evidence of what you want, what you're doing, who you are. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I put it out. I. Oh, sorry. And I was saying like the pinnacle of my show was I had a, for my 200th episode of Fight Talk, I had Ariel Hawani on, who is my, basically my biggest inspiration to do anything I'm doing in, in like this world. Like he's, he's basically the, I mean, he is the best MMA journalist of all time. Like he wins the award every single, every year that the award's been around, he's been the top MMA journalist. And he started off as a, basically a fan out of college who went to Syracuse University and I used to watch him interview fighters the first interview I ever saw him do was actually with Kurt Angle but he uh he started off just doing interviews when like no one was covering mixed martial arts and he used to watch his stuff in college and over time he's now like the main go-to guy for news on ESPN for MMA like he's worked from like nothing to having his own show to having his own show that became like the show to getting onto, you know, he's a big part of ESPN now. And I had the, a luckily, once again, because of Jason and MMA on point, I was able to meet him in Chicago um, over one of the weekends for one of the UFC shows. And I, uh, I talked to him for a minute. I'd, I'd been live tweeting. See, another reason that I got the job with MMA on point that I forgot to mention, for no reason other than, than I was a fan, I used to live tweet his, his show every Monday with like quotes from fighters. So I just go on my Twitter and like while he was interviewing people, I'd just be like transcribing like Tito Ortiz said this, Chuck Liddell said this, Randy Couture said this, blah, blah, blah. And so Hawani knew who I was because I was just blowing up his feed every Monday with like quotes. And he would thank me every now and then like privately. He'd be like, hey, thank you. So like, thanks for doing this. Like, this is great. And so I got to meet him in person in Chicago. 
and told him who I was. And like, he knew exactly who I was because I'd been doing all this stuff prior. So when my 200th episode was coming up, I, uh, I emailed him and I thought, so <laughs> when I emailed him, I was on episode like 195 or something like that. And I emailed him, like ahead of time. I was like, it'll probably take him like a month or two to like have time to come on the show. So I'll ask him if he wants to be my guest for 200. And he emailed me back and he was like, yeah, I can do it in like two days. And I was like, oh, so I had to like record like all these, <laughs> all these podcasts in like a day so that I could get to 199. So that like I could say episode 200 was Ariel Hawani. <laughs> but uh, I wound up having him on. And that was like the peak of my show where it's like, you know, the only other person I really want on that's on like that level would be like Joe Rogan or like Chris Jericho. There's like the two guys that like I really want to talk to that I haven't. Cody Rhodes. Um, I've talked to him in person fairly recently, but not on the podcast. With uh, with that kind of stuff. But like, what was really cool about that situation is Daniel Sowerson, we talked about before, who's now the broadcast manager for the New Orleans Pelicans NBA team. Uh, when Hawani was in New Orleans, Daniel had, I got him linked up with Hawani and Daniel wound up having him on the pot on the Pelicans podcast. So like, it's cool how it all just comes full circle. Like, you know, Daniel helped me out like in college, getting me my first ever radio job because he was the head of the station. And then I was able to like help him get a big guest, uh, you know, for his show later on and stuff. So like, it's just kind of wild how that all works out. What was it? What was it like? Tell me the name of the journalist again. The MMA journalist, Ariel Hawani. Ariel Hawani. What was it like for you in the moment when you finally got to sit down? Did you have questions that he you really wanted to ask? How did it feel? Yeah. Um, it was. Uh, it was interesting because like I didn't want to ask him all the same stuff that he'd probably been asked a million times. So like. I'd ask some of that stuff because I felt like you kind of had to, if you didn't know who he was, at least kind of know a little bit of background on him. But I was asking him about stuff that like I knew no one else was like, for instance, I interviewed him not long after he had interviewed Ninja, the, the gamer streamer. Yeah. Um, he interviewed Ninja for ESPN um, and Ninja wound up being the first ever um, video game player or esports star, whatever you want to call him to be on the cover of ESPN magazine. And so I was asking him about that kind of stuff. I, you know, I talked to him about MMA and all that, but like, I was also peppering in like, Hey man, like I really liked your interview with Ninja. Um, not that many people have gotten these like candid interviews with him. What was it like interviewing? And like, he was able to give like really great perspective on like how great of a guy Ninja was and how like he was told he only had a certain amount of time, but because Ninja really enjoyed the interview, he wound up extending it like on the spot for him and stuff like that. And like, he got like this kind of insight into, into this guy um, and of course I asked him the kind of stuff like, you know, what, you know, what, what advice would you give somebody who wants to like pursue this path and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I wound up talking to him for like, I don't even remember how long it was, maybe like a half hour to 40 minutes or something like that. Um, and it was, uh, it's one of those things where like, there's not a whole lot, I can't really go up. It sounds shitty. Cause I, inter I, inter anyone I interview, I, I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate their time. Like whether you're a, you're a quote unquote, like no name independent wrestler or promoter or someone I watch on the UFC, like anyone who's wanting to give me their time, I very, 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 very much appreciate because they don't have to do it. And I never paid for an interview. So like they're doing it for free. And 
Hel- I don't know where to, I can't really go up from there. Like in my own mind where it's like, I, I interviewed Helwani. I'm still doing my show, but it's all still kind of like, I interviewed my hero. Like, I don't know how, like, it's going to be tough for me to like find, like I said, it's going to have to be like a Chris Jericho, or like a Joe Rogan for me to like really jump back into interviewing again like that. Um, so what's it like now? What's your mindset like now and your motivation? Where do you, where do you? Well, I, I do my, I do fight talk way less often now. And when I do it, it's usually in like the YouTube form with Jesse. And then I take some of the audio and I'll put it on my feet every now and then. So my show recently has been more based around like my own thoughts and opinions and Jesse's thoughts and opinions and stuff, not necessarily like interviewing people. Um, I'll probably get back into interviewing once everything kind of gets back to normal. Um, when like people, you know, can wrestle again and stuff like that. Because then you'll meet them at conventions and shows and events. Yeah, I mean, I do most of my interviews over Skype. So similar to how we're doing this. But I think the best way to meet people is is in person, like just showing up. Um, and that goes for actual wrestlers also. Like some of the, some of the biggest names in wrestling right now, um, I saw live years ago in front of like no fans. And some of these people I know for a fact got their start by just showing up to shows and helping set up the ring. Like people, basically you, you jump in a car with someone who's booked to, you know, so your friend gets booked to the show. Maybe you live in St. Louis and the show is in Nashville. So it's going to make a five hour drive. Um, your buddy is booked to wrestle and you want to be a wrestler, but no one's booking you. So you just jump in the car with them and just show up to the show and just say like, how can I help? Like set up the ring, set up chairs, uh, whatever it is, uh, pull ticket stubs, like, uh, concessions, whatever it is, like, it's all, it's, it's not wrestling, but like you're at the show and you're working and you're showing your, your dedication to it. You're willing to travel and you're willing to work. And once you show up enough times, you start seeing these guys booked on the shows because now they have like the trust of the promotions that they're, you know, they're in it for the right reasons. Same kind of thing with podcasting to a degree where like, if I show up to a, to a wrestling show, What's crazy now is a lot of the time they'll ask me, which like I never thought it would be like that, where like I'll go to an indie show and sometimes a wrestler will come up to me and be like, yo, man, when we get that interview. And it's like, hell yeah, man. Like, you know about my show? I'll, I'll interview you right now. Like I've interviewed people on my iPhone, literally just take the iPhone out, hit the voice memos and just start recording stuff. Same here. I got a, somebody messaged me the other day because I'm, I really, just like you, dude, I want to help people get started and I really want to get people on the path because I mean, dude, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, I got the show with my brother going now, the movie show. And it's like, I was just thinking, I was like, man, there's nothing really to fight for anymore, dude. We just watched this hardcore World War II movie. And it's like, man, there used to be a time where we we lived or died by our family and our country, you know, but like, what are we doing now? And it's like, man, any, any, anybody who wants to, wants to get something going and figure that out, like we're your guys, you can hit either of us up, me or Steven or anyone who's been on the show, Keaton, David, Ross it's I need some more women on the show I gotta gotta get some females but like the the I got a message from a dude on Instagram who was like I want to start a podcast you how how do I do that and I was like first thing I was like you got you got a iPhone or an Android you know because it's like you sometimes I prefer to just throw the voice memo down because it's so in the moment it's so authentic and I can just take that and bounce it onto the garage band and it's like you know, there's a step to everything. And like I told the guy when he reached out to me, I was like, I brought him through each step to, to the point to, that he could do on his own until he needed my help. So I was like, do this, do this, do this, do this. 
and then let me know and I'll get it up, get your RSS feed up on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, wherever you want. So right. it was like, and I think that's the same way with a lot of people that you, we work with in the, in the creative arts or the business world is they want to see some effort. They want to see some movement being made. Uh, and it's yeah. almost like it's, that's the Zen master, the Zen teacher, the person, the, the coach. It's like, I'll coach you. I want to coach you, but you got to meet me. You got to meet me somewhere, you know, like show up Did at it, the field at 5 a.m. <laughs> next week, you know? Yeah. And Did I ever tell you? Did I ever tell you that I ran it or did you brother ever tell you I ran into him at uh, WrestleMania in, I think it was in New Orleans? Yeah, he did. dude. I, I got a question. He actually wanted to ask you a question too. I, I've got it written down. Oh, nice. How's he doing by the way? Your brother's a great guy. Yeah. Evan Burke and then some other guys I, I don't think I knew, but it was, the, I, I saw, I was literally in New Orleans for WrestleMania, just walking around like to get a beer. And like, I saw your brother walk by and I was like, no way that's a brawl voice. And then like, <laughs> we, then like we like we locked eyes and we we're like, what's up? And then like, I see Evan like turn the corner. I'm like, what's up? You're like, as long as they know those guys. So like, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd be happy to answer a question. If you know. Yeah. He wanted to, he wanted to know what's your relationship like with your brother now with Brian. Really close. I see him pretty much every day. So oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I say I love to cook. Um, I was kind of a lie. My brother loves to cook. And he cooks at my place pretty often. I'm good at like the crock pot, like the easy stuff. But like, um, yeah, my brother, I talked to him earlier today. Um, he'll prop so his boxing gym is like five minutes from me. And then his apartment is like five minutes from me. And my parents' house is like five minutes from, from me. So it's like, we're all in this little, I can pretty much walk like to see any of them. So like my brother usually trains people throughout the day. Uh, when he's done, he usually, uh, goes by public, grabs something and comes to my place. And then we, uh, we hang out and eat and play video games and shit. I've been on, uh, been on the switch heavy lately. Like, uh, this game Hyperbox on charge. I've never heard of it. I paid I 20 bucks. It's like this first person shooter, like army man type, like horde game where like the waves just keep coming at you uh -huh. playing the hell out of it. But me and him have been doing that a lot. So yeah, I, I see Brian all the time. Man, I went to go get a Switch, and they're all sold out of systems. I wanted to get Mario Maker 2. Yeah, dude, I got super lucky because, like, I, I had to fly to New Orleans right as – or no, I had to fly to Las Vegas, like, right as the pandemic stuff started, like, becoming serious. But, like, things weren't shut down yet. And, and my brother just texted me just now, as a matter of fact, and, you know, timing. Um, but – uh. I had to fly to New Orleans and I hate flying. Like as much as I do it, I still hate it. Like it's the only thing where I actually like, I'm, I'm all for prescription medicine. Like if it, if it helps you, like, I'm not like one of those people that's like against all medicine. Like I think some people use it obviously, but I think that like, you know, the, the concept, so when it comes to like ADD and stuff like that, like I really want for sure is help people. Like I, I know that there's benefits. And for me, I cannot fly without Xanax. Like it's the one time I, I need, I get so anxious. I've had panic attacks on planes. I don't like motion. I don't like height. Like it's, a, I, I feel claustrophobic around the other people I have to sit so close to. Mm. So I, I have to, it's the only time I go, I literally go see my doctor and I say, I have to fly. And he gives me like four, like four Xanax, like basically two for the way there, two for the way back. Um, and that's it. And <clears throat> because of all that, I, uh, I wound up buying a switch before my last flight. To, so I just had something to kind of keep my mind off the flight. And I, I got like Mario Kart 8 with it. And, uh, and so I bought my switch like a month 
before it was like impossible to find a switch. So I, I got lucky, but now I'm seeing that now all over the place where people are like, can't find them, which, which is, is crazy. It's a, it, it's a great system too. I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get one ASAP. How how has it been for you with the with the quarantine and the coronavirus? Like, are you do like mentally? Are you what's going on up here? This is gonna sound really fucked up, but nothing has changed for me because I I was already working out from home. My my workload hasn't changed. I'm still video editing and podcasting and stuff. The literally the only thing that and I'm still able to box. I I box two or three times a week with my brother at his gym, and he'll just. I and mean, we can do it because it's a small gym and he only, he'll only let me in. So it's not like we're surrounded by people. It's just the two of us. I get my workout in. It takes about a half hour to 45 minutes and I leave. Um, literally, the only thing that's changed is like when I'm out in public, I wear, the, I wear a face mask because I think it's – I just feel like it's the right thing to do. But like, <laughs> I'm learning. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of people that don't wear them. And like, I've, those people. I haven't gone out since I went out. For, I went out for the first time a week, a week and a half ago. You know, when I, when I heard Rogan's podcast with that, with that, uh, the disease expert guy, you mm-hmm. know, as soon as I listened to it, the, like the day it came out and I was like, shit's going down. So I just, I got all my shit and prepared to quarantine. And I, I haven't left since until a week and a half ago. And I go yeah. out, dude. And I was, you know, I was at, you know, the grocery store and, with the masks and the beady eyes and, and I didn't have one and I was so scared and I felt like an asshole. And it's like, I'm not going to go out again unless I have a mask. And just because I'll feel like an asshole. <laughs> that, that's literally the reason I even, cause like, I, cause like, I know I'm not sick, but like, I just, the perception of like, it's scary out there. It's like all the beady. I mean, like the, I, uh, may, I'm normally anxious in public anyway, but it was right. like, super focused i was like oh god like this is unsettling you know everybody's got their space i'm like oh what was so crazy is like the first time because i i really don't go out in public that much like anyways to begin with because like even you know part of my job is to cover live ufc events so like i'm on twitter like doing like the results and stuff for the shows and those are like you know usually on saturday nights and stuff so like my social life is pretty non-existent to begin with so like when i went out most recently I had to go to the PO box to mail out. It was actually me mailing out an action figure that somebody won on the podcast. And I put a mask on because I was like, all right, I'm not going to be that one guy who's not wearing a mask. So I went into the post office with my mask on. The guy working there didn't have a mask on and the other (laughs) people in there didn't. I was the only one wearing a mask in the post office. And I was just like, okay, like, do I need to be wearing this? Because... So everyone was probably so it's probably the opposite. You know what I mean? Like everyone was like, yeah. feel like I was a douchebag. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like this guy's wasted, like scaring everybody. It's not that. Yeah, bad. it's not that bad. This guy got corona. It's like no, I'm trying to make sure you don't have like. <laughs> <laughs> man, dude, dude, this has been awesome, man. I I want to ask you. I like to do this at the end of every show, dude. I w- I want to know. Um, uh, I like to kind of set like, do you have any? dreams aspirations or goals now anything you're aiming for right now like uh, it could be anything in your personal life in your career in your creative endeavors um that's a really really good question um like i'd I'd say i'm pretty content with how things are but like that's not really a good answer because like you you know you should always kind of be striving for something um i will say this i really enjoy video editing and there's there's a lot of um there's a really 
there's I don't I can't get that set, that sense of satisfaction in any other way than when like I've worked on a video because what people don't realize is video editing for this type of video that I do is like I'll I'll, I'll be transparent I'll tell you the process so like someone will write a script sometimes the same person will write and voice a script but by the time I get anything it's just audio so it could be like ten minutes fifteen minutes twenty minutes sometimes it's like a half hour long of just audio. And then it's on me to, to put whatever you see on the screen on the screen. So like whether it's video clips or pictures or whatever. Do you have to find the clips or are they provided? Yeah, no, I have to find it all myself. Um, so it's a lot of screen capturing and all that kind of stuff. So like, um, and then there's also certain things I can't use. Like the UFC will claim our videos if we show certain type of footage, but they won't if we show other types and stuff. So like there's a whole kind of game and process to it, but um, I usually say kind of my rule of thumb is for every minute of video that you see on the screen, it takes me about an hour per minute. So if I'm doing a 16 minute video, it takes me 16 hours of video editing and the, all you see is 16 minutes, but it took me 16 hours. And by, and the biggest satisfaction I get professionally is seeing that on YouTube. Like when, when it's, when that is out there, and the view count starts going up and the comments start coming in because every now and then you're going to get people, you know, you're going to get assholes. People are going to give it the dislike. People are going to call you a fag or whatever. And I'm not, I don't advocate those words, but that's what you see on the internet. You know, you see a lot of just people saying crazy stuff about other people. And, but that's like a very small percentage of the people. Like I'm, I'm the kind of person where like one comment isn't going to get me down because there's 99 comments that are positive. There's just this one, that's like negative. And a lot of the time people like harp on the negative one, but to me, it's kind of funny because I also understand trolling. Like I'm totally under, like there's certain people who just troll to get a reaction and like, it just is what it is. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure a few guys got trolled from high school earlier on in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <kind of>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to ever watch this. I mean, but I mean, here's of all those people, well, I'll finish by saying like the satisfaction is like, you know, seeing all that. Like I, that's the most joy I can get is like once that happens, those people like, I, I think, I just think it's all love, man. It's like, you know, we were in the shit together. We were all did <laughs> dumb shit. You know, it's just like, you know, it's like, well, so, so you choked out a couple girls while you were swimming. Big deal. <laughs> Big deal. We all, all we, all, we don't know how to we don't know how to display affection. We're we're weird, grungy, gaggling adolescents trying to deal with hormones. Yeah, and all I and all I can hope is like some of those people that we mentioned before have like changed since then because I don't I don't think that you can be saying and doing a lot of those things that you know whatever we're what thirty two now so like <laughs> we are <laughs> you can't be like anti-semitic and then trying to wrestle people in public like at 32 so like yeah i mean i mean that's, that's the thing dude is like i've realized this is like man everyone's in their own world you know and everyone's living their own personal dream and it's just really the only exercise i have to do is figure out what my dream is and stick to that because people are going to come and go and it's we're all just trying to fucking make sense of enjoy our time before we die. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I, I got to run, I get to run into them from time to time and see them. And it's, I, I try to just, I just think of the good times, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I don't really hold any like ill will towards anyone either. Like, I mean, 
It's just admit, dude, McNitt, you were a fucking champion, dude. I remember you from back in the day, bro. Oh, I never, I didn't say anything bad about him. Like, I, 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 I was just disappointed that he didn't wrestle those last two years because I know like, that's the thing. I've never seen fun. someone that good before. That's the thing with Patrick. The reason why me and Patrick were started working together was because I cannot stand when I see somebody with so much talent who has so much potential and they're not doing anything with it. You know, it's like, oh, it hurts. It's frustrating, but at the same time, like if that if that isn't their dream, then I also, you know, it's like one of those things where like what I don't know and what I do to an extent because like, you know, like I mean, it's a good example. Like his dad was a wrestler and his dad was always in the stands and you can tell his dad was like a huge fan of his. And, and yeah. it was, you know, there's probably, there's a lot of scenarios, not just, yeah, I wasn't, dude, I wasn't where like people just kind of get pressured into doing something. They don't even really want to do They want to be good at it, but they don't really want to be doing it. Dude. It's the same with me in football, dude. Like I, that's what I was destined to do because of my lineage and I was naturally good at it, but man, what I should have been doing, what I really should have been doing is making films, dude, and learning how to do music and like expressing myself creatively and, you know, but like, you know, we just, we don't know what we don't know. You know, we just try to do what we think is best. Well, and also like when I was in college getting my degree, you couldn't make a living on YouTube. Like it wasn't even a real thing. Yeah. Like YouTube existed, but it was like, viral videos like meme type shit you know it's like chocolate rain and like afro ninja like you know what i mean like it was like that kind of stuff the techno viking <laughs> talked about earlier huh techno viking <laughs> yeah exactly it was like that generation um where like you couldn't really monetize it um and there was really no thought of that i i remember being in college i kid you not like we, there was all these classes because like you know you be in the same class with so many of the same people because the same major everything going you know trying to do the same degree and like you go around the room because you know you'd have like a new teacher and you'd have to stand up and be like hi i'm steven my favorite color is green i'm from atlanta and you know fun fact about yourself and then it'd be like what do you want to do with your degree and i would always stand up and be like i want to do something in mixed martial arts or professional wrestling um and i would say like i honestly believe that mixed martial arts is going to be the biggest sport in the world. Like I could see it be, being bigger than soccer at some point because it's so, it's so universal. Like you don't have to understand the rules or anything like, or there's no language barriers, right? It's like everyone understands, like it's a fight and you, you don't, you don't even need a ball to, to, to do it. Like American football, like you need to have all these pads and equipment and like all this stuff or golf. You have to have like a membership and clubs and like with fighting, like you could be the poorest person from the worst part of the world and become a, a mega star and make a living fighting it, it, you know and i would literally get laughed at in class like people and this is in college people would be like dude fighting like you serious man like everyone else is like baseball basketball even like nascar golf hockey you know and i'm like fighting and everyone's literally laughing huh. and, and as and i don't think it was like malicious it was just kind of like that'll never happen kind of a thing i had to get into the ufc like really because the UFC wasn't even that big still. Right. So, like, I just kind of had the foresight for it, and I, and I knew I loved it. And uh, I, of all the people I, I went to school with, I think there might be, like, maybe, maybe a handful of us, maybe, like, three to five of us that are, like, doing the kind of stuff that, that we were talking about wanting to do in college. Everyone else has kind of done, like, you know, there's a lot of factors with that too, though, to be fair. Like, you know, you know this too, like 
because you're single, right? You, yeah. So like, that's a big part of why I'm even able to do a lot of this, I feel like, is because I don't have the extra responsibility of like, of a, of a wife, kids, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you go that route, I'm not knocking you because that's what a lot of people want out of their life. But you also have to make all these compromises along the way where like, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to be as selfish, I guess, as I am, if you want to look at it like that, where it's like, I can't, I couldn't just work for no money as long as I did and work like massage envy and stuff like that. If I had all those other responsibilities and other people that I had to take care of, it's all just on me. If I can't pay rent, I can't pay rent. I'm the only one who suffers from that. So, you know, that goes, that leads into a whole nother path of like, whether or not I think people get married too young and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, it's out of our jurisdiction, you know, like I, I know for myself, there's nothing, there's been nothing more, harmonious and peaceful is being in the arms of someone that I love like that's yeah one of those things where it's like I'll be lucky if I get to experience that again but it also scares me because of how comfortable it is you know yes yep so yeah I'm, I'm with you dude like I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing I'm trying to, I'm like we were saying earlier but I'm really just trying to own who I am and what I love outwardly like you were saying like the idea that you can get on a tweet and just post your tweet just because you want to share that you think this youtube video was dope you know it's like i need to develop that skill still i need to i need to not be afraid to let people know inside the mind's eye with steven jensen is happening this day and here are clips leading up to it the whole way and then and not be afraid to post also about my own internal ramblings and struggles like i gotta like really let myself be seen if i have any any hope of and this is just what I, I believe, and this is, it may or may not be true, but I feel if I have any hope of liberation or freedom or any sort of synchronistic events uh, happening in my life, I've got to own my truth out loud. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that that's, uh, that's very important. I, I, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I feel like that, I feel like that's incredibly important to do that. And I feel like not enough people do that. Like, I, I think a lot of people get put in these positions of that extra responsibility before they figure out everything you just talked about. Mm. Like for me, the, the main reason I don't like date and stuff at the moment is because of like very similar reasons, because like I need to have all my stuff like established like i i want my and and it's getting to that point if it isn't there already we're like the money i'm making is is decent money i got a decent place i'm pretty comfortable i'm at a point where like maybe sometime soon i could kind of like bring someone else into this but i'd be in a really bad spot if i if i was just like working at AT at&t still hated my job and my life and then on top of that was in some relationship so like i'm not happy at work and now like now, you know, there's one thing I hate. So like, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. I'll go on, I've been on so many first dates, it's unreal, right? Like where you go out one time and like, that's the end of it. There's been so many times where I've sat down across the table from some girl and we start talking about work and she'll ask me what I do. And I'm like all like happy about like, you know, I feel kind of bad almost where I'm like telling them about like all this stuff I'm talking about. And then they'll be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I don't really like my job, but I make bank. And I've heard that so many times. I hate my job, but I make bank. And I'm like, we, this isn't going to work because (laughs) 
No, seriously, because I do not want to be living a life where like you hate your job 20 or 40 hours a week. And then I have to hear about how much you hate your job when you're not at work. Like I, I want, I want to find someone who enjoys what they're doing. Like, yeah. Like some sort of artist or something. It doesn't have to be that, but like someone that I can relate to from, from that perspective. I can relate to having a shitty job that you hate because I've lived that life, but I never want to deal with that again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, yeah, dude. That, but it's also, it goes both ways because it's, it's just as likely that the girl isn't going to want to go on a second date because I put it out there on the table so quickly as far as like, like I'll show up on dates wearing like wrestling t-shirts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. This is who I am. Kind of take it or leave it. Exactly. And I don't mean that in like a, like a, asshole-ish type way like i've heard sam roberts who's one of my favorite podcasters talk about talk about it where it's like (laughs) he'll 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 give the example of like imagine like being at a table for like a first date because this is what most people would do like you're a massive wrestling fan and you're sitting there and uh you know the girl happens to mention something about like wrestling or like whatever it somehow comes up and you're like trying to downplay it so you're like yeah yeah kind of you're not wearing a wrestling shirt or anything you're just kind of like yeah yeah i know yeah wrestling's kind of kind of cool i guess i'm not really that into it but by like the end of the conversation you're like well i mean but you know Monday Night Raw is the longest weekly episodic television show on tv and uh <laughs> and you know Stone Cold Steve Austin was the highest merch seller of all time and but it, and it's and it's gonna come out that you're a fan oh so yeah matter of like getting it out there right off the bat or you're in a situation where like you hide it for like years and now you're in a spot where like, you're not like living with this person and like the relationship is serious and you got to make that choice of like, do I still like the stuff like secretly, like on the weekends? Can I like, can I watch football? Like I love football. She doesn't know I love football, but like I get to sneak away one day of the week to watch football with my friends. But like, if she finds out I like football, she's not going to like this. So like, or you have to just admit it and you're already deep. So like, you're like a couple years in a relationship and then you have to be like, so uh, I'm tired of hiding all these action figures in a closet. I'm going to start putting my, my Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Steve Austin figures out in, out in my living room. And then they're like, wait, what the fuck? Like, you're into this? Like, I've never, I didn't even know you were into this. You're like, yeah, I'm like fucking massive fan. And now I've been talking for two years about it. So like, Eventually, they're going to find out who you are. So I just yeah, put it yeah. out there right off the bat. And I, I think it's also important that we, because I've had that issue before where I've dated, dated women. And, and you know what really, it's, the, I mean, this, I don't know if this is just a dating thing or, or a human thing. But like, it sucks when I'm so excited about something I'm working on or something I'm doing. And I share it. And it's like I'm talking to like a, a glass mannequin. Who doesn't it's the even, worst. Dude, I'd much rather just, I'd rather sit in this room and and record myself going, fuck yeah, for like 10 minutes so I can get it out, than go share it with anybody because, you know, it doesn't translate. And it's like, part of my, part of my process now is I'm on this, I'm trying to not identify with any of the shit I do. So like right now, this is what's happening. This is, this is who I am in this moment. This is who we are. This is going to be expressed. It's going to be shared, but it's not actually who I am. So it's like, 
I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what dating is going to look like for me if it ever looks like anything, because I've been loving this quarantine so much. I don't think I'm ever going to fuck with anybody ever again, dude. Like I'm, I'm down to fucking chill, bro. Like I'll, I'll hang out with my evil dead poster. I'll talk to myself for another 10 years and hope something good happens because it's scary out there, man. And, and I really, you know, I want to, I guess this is, I guess this is what I've been pondering today, but like the idea of my personal reality and how to cultivate it and structure it so I can, so if I'm going to be around someone, it's like, I can help elevate them to, to the way I see things or the way things could be, you know, it's like, how much do I care? And that's where selfishness comes into play is like, selfishness and selflessness is, is is the reality is that they're interlinked is that like i want to care so much because of how much of an impact i get from people that care dude like yeah it's if somebody's into something i don't even know what it is and they're so into it i'm into it that they're into it i'm like this is dope dude like i love that you love what you're doing yeah i uh there was a situation actually really recently and now I feel like an asshole because I'm just now remembering I forgot to respond to the last text message and it was weeks ago. So like now I feel like a jerk, but um, I responded initially, but I'll tell you what. So do you remember Nick Venencia from, from high school? Oh yeah. So I hadn't talked, he went to Georgia Southern too. We used to hang out all the time and stuff like in uh good dude. I just hadn't talked to him in like 10 years. And he texted me completely out of the blue uh, like a month ago. And he was like, dude, I just saw you that you that you edited because the, they they give me a, like the end the videos that I edit at the end, like my picture goes up and it's like follow me on Twitter or whatever for video editing. So like, they give me a shout out at the end. So uh Nick happened to see that and he, he texted me, he's like, dude, I had no idea like you were still doing this kind of because he used to like watch UFC with us like at the bar in college and stuff, like at the same table. And it was such a great feeling to hear from somebody completely randomly that I haven't talked to in so long that really enjoyed the content he was like dude that video was awesome i had no idea you were even working on this kind of stuff and and i responded like thanking him and then he sent me another message that i'm just now remembering that i forgot to respond to but it's it's one of those things where there's that side of it which feels incredible but there's also the other side of it too where like i've shown these videos to people that i care about before that like like i said it might have taken me 16 to like 20 hours to work on some of these and i'm really proud of them and then they see them and they just don't think it's a big deal and it's like fuck I put everything into this and you, you don't even care. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a part of me. is like, why should they? Cause like they're not MMA fans, but like, I'm kind of one of those people that like, if I can tell you really, really put a lot into something, even if I'm not like into that subject, I'm still going to like acknowledge like, dude, this is amazing that you, that you did this, you know? So I know, I know that feeling too, where like, you know, sometimes it just doesn't translate and you're like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was great to hear from him. That's why I read the Daily Tao a lot is because it talks about self-mastery and, and, and aligning yourself with the flow or the spirit or the creative energies and, and, and or just the work that we do, that the idea is the work that we do is the point, that once it's done, it's done. It doesn't matter anymore. It's like you you know, chop wood, carry water because you love to chop wood, carry water. It doesn't It doesn't define who you are and it doesn't, you know, it's not someone's like, that's the other thing too, is I used to get so caught up early on when I started this, like, why can't people see things the way I see it? Why can't, why aren't people pushing themselves to, to, to be more honest and open? And, and it's just, you know, I can't expect other people to meet me how I would like to be met. 
So I have to come to terms with the illusion that I'm living in, which is, you know, yeah, this stuff is dope and stuff, but man, nobody's going to care as much as I do. And that's oh, all for sure. Yeah. yeah for sure. And it's, and it's cool when you meet with someone that does, and then it's like, Oh, that's sweet. But even then there's a thousand different versions of myself. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. It was funny. Cause Nick actually mentioned in the message, he was like, uh, he was like, man, like it'd be, he said something about Ari- He actually mentioned Ariel Hawani in the message and it was something like, yeah, even like Ariel Hawani, like had to start somewhere and like, this is incredible and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't, didn't want to like, you know, I thought it would have come off weird to, to respond with like, Oh, I actually know Ariel and like, I've had him on my show and stuff. Like he's a, but like, I just kind of took it more as like, that's fucking badass that he even knows who Ariel Hawani is. And the fact that he like said, like, you're on the path to me to being kind of like him. I know, I know the message behind what he was saying was like encouraging, like really, really positive. But what he doesn't know is like, I actually, I, I know the guy like to where I can like talk. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he is, but he's the pinnacle. So like to even be compared in any way, shape or form to him is like humongous compliment. And, th- and that's, what's interesting too. And I've been wanting to get this out and I haven't known how to do it, but it's so important for people that are, that are listening or for people that are seeing people do stuff like we're doing those messages and those comments and even those likes when we're, we're sharing what we love are so like, it, it's a momentum booster. It's a, I can't tell you this dude, Keaton, I'd never met him in person. There's so many times where I was so down on myself with the rap. So like self doubt, like fuck all this shit where just his comment alone of just being like, Trey's up y'all are fucking gator shit, dude. Dog, fuck, keep going. Like just him himself gave me the motivation to keep pushing, keep moving, keep going. And it's like, we can like, yeah, Pat said something funny. He was like, man, I posted up a picture of, of my gender reveal and literally my Facebook blows the fuck up. An hour later, I share our new song, Ghost, Ghost Town, dude. Like, <laughs> it was yeah. like, wow. Like, yeah, so these, the messages, like Venezia, like all, all our people out there that are Keaton, everyone, it's like, it's so helpful for, for us to build each other up, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Keaton, I... I remember him from high school. I think we were, I remember him being a good dude. I, I just, I think we had like a, one of those, like, a, I don't even know what you call it. It was like PE in high school, whatever you call that class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might've been, been PE, but uh, I think we were in like a class like that together or something. And I remember him being a nice guy. I just, I hadn't seen him or talked, but I saw that he was, uh, he was on your show. So it's, it's cool seeing these people like kind of pop up that, you know, you remember and like everyone's still kind of like, in touch to some degrees it's nice to see isn't that weird though it's such a weird time we're in we're all accessible all the time and it's yeah, yeah like I'm, I'm 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 excited to see what happens when this gets released what types of uh feedback we get or who hits you up or who it's you know it's i don't know i mean i'm ex- i'm not expecting to, i mean nothing like this isn't against you or the pot I'm, i go into everything expecting no one's gonna oh absolutely i pretend like, so, no- like i go into it thinking like no likes, no comments, nothing. Like I put it out there um, every now and then. Every now and then, that's kind of what happens. Like no matter how many people listen to my show, it doesn't guarantee that anyone's going to go on Twitter and like share it or anything. But yeah, that's you have um, to accept that. Yeah, and you got to keep doing because like there's no shame in like promoting yourself when you don't have a, an audience. Like how how are you supposed to gain an audience if you like you know if 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 you're putting out podcasts like over and over and over again, they're getting like no 
you know, the likes aren't coming in, the comments aren't coming in or whatever it is. Cause I've even experienced that too. Where like I'll post, sometimes I'll repost my videos from MMA on point on my Facebook and it gets like no interaction at all. But that vi that same video on YouTube will have, you know, 700,000 views or whatever. So it's like my Facebook isn't, isn't going to be a good indicator of like the actual fan base of what I'm doing. My Facebook is, is people I knew in high school and college and shit. And most of them have no clue what I'm, what I'm actually doing for work. That's what I'm in. That's why I think it's so interesting. Like I, I just know, like one, one guy that I always think about that I, is Jason, right? Like the idea of yeah. being able to, if for one day I was getting on Facebook and saw that Jason did a, did a conversation with, with you, I would be like, man, I want to listen to this. You know, it'd be, it'd be like a cool trip down memory lane, you know, and just like to catch up with, with who my, who my guys are, you know, like, yeah, I, I, th I think Facebook's a dead media, honestly. Like, I, I honestly think everything's going to be so fucked algorithmically and sponsored-wise in terms of marketing and advertisements and all these social spaces that it's a drowning ship. Like, and, and it's, I'm not saying it's, it's not, it's, fuck, it's a great tool if you use it as a tool. But, like, it, what we're seeking is not going to be found on these social networks. Oh, I agree. And there, there's a lot of, I mean, there's positives and negatives to it, obviously. So it's like, I, like my businesses and stuff like that I do, it, this stuff wouldn't exist without the internet. So on that, on that hand, like it's incredibly important. Oh yeah. Other hand, there's a lot of people that are, have like replaced real life with social media and it's like totally backwards. They're, they're, they're putting out these completely fake narratives of what their life is like. And it's a, uh, I mean, it's one thing to like, like positivity and stuff. Like, you know, I understand, you know, especially when it comes to, to women, like you're taking pictures, a lot of times they're heavily filtered because they have the tools to like make everything look better. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you meet those same people, they look like they're the most positive people on earth when they're posting on social media. And then when you meet them, they have literally no substance at all to like their actual personal life. And they're head down into a cell phone, even when you're around them in person. Man, dude. So, but and it's I'm here's the thing, because obviously, I mean, I do a lot of social media stuff. I'm a social media manager for a YouTube channel, so like I have to be connected in some way, shape, or form. But like, I rarely am like posting on Facebook at this point. I rarely do much on like my personal Twitter when I'm not working and like getting paid for this kind of stuff. I try to disconnect really as much as I can. Like, um, like I love kayaking. So like when the weather's better and like people are out and about, like I do a lot of kayaking and walking around outside. And there's plenty of times where like, I just leave my phone at home. Like just literally just don't even take it with me. And just, cause nobody, the sad truth of it is this, like, and a lot of people are going to hate hearing this. Nobody cares about the concert you were at. Nobody cares about what food you're eating. Nobody cares. Like, experience fucking life like i i understand <laughs> nobody wanted to capture some moments right like I'm, I'm guilty of it too sometimes i'm somewhere and i'm like man this is this is great i, I want to remember this moment so i'm going to take a picture of this but it isn't necessarily like because i want recognition from other people it's right. but there's also like just the means to express yourself we have that desire that urge the carnal urge just to express ourselves and it goes the same to us too anyone in the artistic endeavors even more so Nobody gives a fucking shit. Nobody right. cares. So Nobody it's cares. Like, 
So it's like, do, do what you do, do what you want to do. Make sure you do it in a way that doesn't harm you or doesn't debilitate you. Cause I can't, like, I, I don't even, there's, I don't know. I, I just, I do believe now we're intrinsically linked with our devices. It's happened. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at them as being something that works itself into us that it doesn't work me. Like I, it's, I've got to be the one using it for what it need, what I want it to be used for. And I can't get so caught up in the lives of other people's that I lose touch with with reality, you know? Yes. Um, you're an always sunny fan. Oh yeah. So it's like, uh, it's like Dennis walking around the mall in that episode where like everyone's on their phones and he's like, Hey, you want to experience me? Like what is what's going on around me? Like what's, and he's all, but of course he's so like narcissistic and crazy. It becomes, him realizing he's God of his own world and like goes way too far with like, you know, but like, there's, there's some truth to that because what these social dopamine injectors are doing is essentially bringing to surface our natural solipsism as human beings, which is we are the center of our own movie. Right. And it, and it magnifies that. And, but yes, but, and, and it's, it can be harmful. Right. And it's, it's, like there's also like a way of looking at that, like you were just kind of saying, where like, you know, I, it's gonna come off as a bit selfish, but you are the most important thing in in your own life. Like, you are. You are, because if you're if you don't exist, you don't experience anything else. So okay. like, so it is most important that I'm happy and I'm like living how I want to live. I can bring other people into that. Uh, if you want to compare to like a show like into like my script like it's you know my cast of people is like my family and my close friends and stuff like that um but at the end of the day like if i'm miserable and everyone around me is happy that doesn't do me any fucking good like we all have to, like like if i'm miserable everything's miserable like i don't get the happiness from the other people like i like be happy also i like to think i always think of that dancing video that dancing guy at that concert and i think of my body my mind my heart myself as like this one note in the cosmic orchestra and it's like my vibration my strings i I want them to be playing a pleasant song to collaborate with other pleasant musicians or even bring the dull notes or the down notes up to you need discord dude there has to be some sort of drop or high or low it's like but i want to be yeah, I want to be in the in in the in the composition. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Um, so yeah, I, and I hope that you keep doing this show and keep having people on. Like, I would love to see an episode with some of the people like we've talked about today. Man, really interesting. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm glad you're doing your thing, man, and uh, I'm happy for you. I, I really really respect the rap, the rap stuff because it's that's. That's terrifying, man. I, I couldn't imagine because I've I've had to like do public speaking and shit. Like that's that's terrifying enough to me. I can't I can't imagine the because I can't even speak that quickly. So like I don't even like all the words and the, the rhythm that goes with it. The the poss- the very, very strong possibility you'll fuck up in front of a lot of people is definitely there. It's happened. Uh, yeah. But that's how you, I mean, Rogan says it all the time, right? Like you gotta eat, you gotta eat some dick up on stage before people start liking your comedy. So like, I mean, yep. that's, that's with all of it. My first podcast, there's a lot of my early podcasts that were, I, I couldn't go back and listen to. Cause like, dude, we were talking about it before. Like, how do you do a podcast? Like, what do I do? How do I get started? Dude, back when I first started, I kid you not, I had a, uh, I had two iPhones just like this, right? They were like 
iPhone, an iPhone six and like an iPhone five or some shit. I had like an old one. I interviewed a UFC Hall of Famer, Boss Rudy, one of the best fighters of all time. I had my voice memos on on one phone and I was talking to him on speakerphone on the other phone. So it was just like the audio from the phone was going into the voice memos on the other phone. Super scuffed, right? I mean, just like low, as low budget as it gets. But that's what I was doing. I, I was like, I'm not going to not interview this guy. So like I got to figure out a way to, to get the audio somehow. And I remember telling, I don't know if you know who Ryan Ford is, but uh, he's, uh, he's buddies with like Joey Weigel and those guys, really into the jiu-jitsu community. And uh, Ryan does a podcast uh, called The Grappling Central. It's like one of the biggest jiu-jitsu podcasts in the world. He's, he's great. He just put out a, a recent a documentary recently. Fantastic. And uh, I remember, because he gave me like some really good advice when I started my podcast, because he had been doing it a while before I started. And uh, Joey, I think it was like Joey and maybe like John Mole and uh, like Justin Morgan. It was like, like someone from like that group of guys like got me in touch with Ryan. And Ryan was super helpful. And I remember him asking me how I did my interviews. And I explained that to him. And he was like, you interviewed a fucking UFC Hall of Famer like that? <laughs> my God, dude. He's like, I need to teach you how to, how to, there's, there's easier ways of doing it than within it. Um, but he was like mind blown. He was like, dude, you interviewed Boss Rutten with two phones like that? Like, are you kidding me? Man, dude, legend. But that's, that's, but that's just to show, you know, people, everyone has the means of doing this stuff. It's not hard to figure out how to use an RSS feed. That's basically the lifeblood of, of the whole show is like, is once you have an RSS feed, you can get anywhere. And an RSS feed is basically free. I mean, there's some servers servers that are going to charge you, but like, yeah, let hit me up if you're listening to this. Hit me up, hit Adam up. I mean, I'd I'd be happy to help you with this kind of stuff because I literally started from what I just said, putting putting two phones together and hoping to God the battery didn't die on one or like the call didn't drop basically because there was I couldn't I didn't know how to edit back then either. So like, whatever the live audio was was what was getting uploaded. So like. <laughs> yeah i remember back dude i remember i listened to some of the first few ones man dude there was one where it was one of my first interviews i interviewed mickey gall who was getting ready to fight cm punk and mickey literally like i could hear like wind in the background and i was like i was like oh hey man i was like anytime you can give me would be great he's like oh dude yeah man i got about 15 minutes i'm uh i'm driving from my chiropractor to the gym and i was like cool like i'll whatever I can get. And I had no way of editing it. So I just talked to this guy for like 15 minutes while I was driving to the gym from his chiropractor. It's like, fuck it. Like if I don't, if I don't get this now, like there's no guarantees ever going to come back on. So, I mean, you just, just take what you can, whether it's where there's a couple minutes with some, I mean, there's been people where I've gone to wrestling shows and same kind of thing where it's like, can I get an interview? And they're like, yeah, I got you know, a half hour before my match. And we just go outside with a phone, with voice memos, and I just talk to him for like 10 minutes and just record that. You know, it's like, and anybody can be doing this stuff with very little equipment. And and I think there is a, a bit of a charm to how scuffed it was at first too, where like, you can listen to that and you know it's completely DIY. Like I'm clearly not getting any kind of help and I clearly didn't know how to edit. And like, but I was doing it out of passion and for the very, very small possibility of, of getting a full-time career out of it. And, and luckily it, it led to that, but like, I mean, there was no guarantee of it before. So let me ask you this last question. 
say somebody's sitting at a job doing a job they hate not wanting to wake up you know they but they, uh, like you were in when you were working for the phone companies mm-hmm. and you know it's a tough they're they're having tough a tough go of it and they don't even know where to start like what do i even like or how do i even figure that out what would you say to that person you know who's who's in that space my advice probably doesn't fit the narrative of the show very well <laughs> so like, this show? huh this show yeah well I'm, i'll tell you what i would do but like i'm not necessarily advising this because i you're like you're a recovering addict and i'm sure there's a lot of people like so this is not what i would do is i would isolate myself into a room for like three days and just smoke a ton of weed until i basically because that's how i do my best thinking is being away from everything and getting getting way too stoned like <laughs> like 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 I when i think that, like when i think i'm too stoned on. i, I love this stoned. answer because it's practically applicable for people who are like you or like me like i don't think i would have became a drug addict if if certain circumstances didn't fold out the way they did my brain got flipped and, I, and it changed and now i'm a fucking drug addict i have to take care of that but i think there was a point in time because I truly believe in self-discovery, self-knowledge, meditation, and, and being with yourself to see what comes to surface. Yes. And so what you're saying is extremely valuable. So you would, you, what would you do? So basically, I mean, that's basically what I do. Like, I mean, I remember, it sounds kind of strange, but I remember, and I know your thing was like, you listen to like a lot of Pink Floyd and stuff. Like oh, yeah. my thing was like, I, I vividly remember being in Nashville and living by myself and literally like it sounds so it sounds kind of lame like when i say it out loud and once again i'm not advocating anybody do anything illegal if you live in a state where weed is illegal i'm not saying like go up and break the law if you don't if you're not into this kind of like i don't want to be like the advocate of like smoking weed i'm just saying this worked for me hashtag don't tase us bro don't tase us (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that guy (laughs) so i know all these internet memes this is great so like um, I remember at one point, I was still working at AT&T at the time. I remember consciously getting really, really, really stoned. It was one of those things where it was like, I was, because I, mean, I smoke every day, but like, this is one of those things where like, I was, it was like, I had hit that wall of being like, oh, I am fried. And then I was like, all right, let's do some more. And it was like, boom, 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 boom. And I got like super, super mega stoned, right? And I remember turning all the lights off in my place. So it was like pitch black. And I listened to Nirvana's Nevermind all the way through. Like, it was like, I just turned that, I turned that on and just like escaped to this weird fucking world where I was just laying there in pitch black and just listening to this dude who like, I knew had killed himself, who this band was around for such a short amount of time, but like completely changed music. And like, I just had this really crazy attachment and appreciation for what I was listening to. It was, it was weird because I was never like the biggest Nirvana fan, but I was like, you know what? I was going to listen to this album all the way through. And by the time it hit like the song Polly, which is a really dark song. It's about like a girl who basically gets kidnapped and raped and, and then escapes. And I remember listening to just how raw that song was and just being like, this is one of the most brilliant band. Like I always saw Nirvana as like this failure because it was like Kurt Cobain 
was at the top of the world and he killed himself or was murdered, you know, if you believe that with Courtney Love or whatever. But it's like, I always have this kind of negative connotation on the band because of how it all ended and how they weren't around for very long. And then when I was listening to that album, I was like, these guys were fucking geniuses. Like, this is like incredible, like poetry. Like what, the, this is poetry with a little bit of, a little bit of, you know, guitar in the background and Dave Grohl's drums and uh, Chris Novoselic's bass or whatever. And it was like, and I remember listening to that all the way through and just kind of coming out of it like, what could I do to like make a fucking impression like that? Like what, could I ever put anything out there where like someone would listen to it and be like that inspired, you know, like, and, and, and like Nirvana is not my favorite band of all time or anything like that. It's just, and then I started doing it kind of more often where I'd like sit back, I'd play like a full White Stripes album. I love Jack White. I, I listened to like, you know, and so for me, a lot of it was getting really, really, really stoned <laughs> listening to music or getting really, really, really stoned and listening to Joe Rogan, you know, his podcast are like three hours sometimes, just sitting there and listening. And, and I gained so much inspiration from, from seeing people doing these kind of things and knowing like these people all started just like how all of us did. Like, like Nirvana was, a li- was literally a, a grunge band before grunge music even existed. And they were playing out of, a, out of a garage and like no one ever thought they'd ever make anything of themselves. And they completely changed music. Like, I'm not thinking, I'm not sitting around thinking like I'm Nirvana, but like, what can I do to where like, maybe I put something out there and like a wrestling fan hears it and they're like, shit, this guy can do a podcast. I can do a podcast. Like, and so that's, that's my route is like, it's not necessarily music or, or media or whatever. It's, it's isolated. It's not even necessarily weed. It's, it's for, that's just works for me. But I think you need to be alone. I, I think you need to take all distractions away from you. When I started really getting deep into fight talk and MMA on point, there was a period of time there where I didn't see my friends hardly at all for like a year. Like I was like off the grid and just completely focused on figuring all this stuff out for myself. And there was a lot of trial and error along the way. But like, I think anyone can do that. You know, like if, if there's some, if you hate your job and you want a new life and you don't know what that life is, I would just strongly suggest trying to figure out, I think everyone's passionate about something. Like find out, find out what your passions are. Um, for me, that's how I did it. I mean, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what other people's dreams are. So I can't really speak to like the, like the route of going, but like that's, that'd be my advice. Like just get away or, or seek advice of people that have been successful at something that you want to be successful at. Like if there's, if you want to be an, an author, um, you know, who writes your favorite books? Because if that person is still alive, you can probably email that person. They'll probably respond. You know, like you, you can, people are willing to help. Like, I bet you, I bet you, like, if you are the biggest Harry Potter fan in the world, like maybe you fucking hate your life, but the only joy you get in life is sitting at home and watching the Harry Potter movies, or reading the Harry Potter books. You can probably email JK Rowling and she'll probably respond. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's things you can do to like reach out and try to get, and try to get help. Um, but that, that'd be my biggest advice, kind of isolating yourself in maybe not even isolation. Um, if what you want to do involves big groups, like you want to get into like concert promotion, obviously right now is not the best time to do that, but like, <laughs> yeah, I've got to wait about so it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> find out, find out who runs, uh, 
what do they do in, in Atlanta? Um, you could pick everyone's brain and come up with an al alternative or a new way of doing things. You could literally just start the brainstorming process, the, the knowledge digestion pro. I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I think everything you said is spot on, dude. That story is fucking phenomenal. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to artists and the only reason I end up doing what I do is because they did it for me, right? Like, right. I don't know how Lane Staley communicated his emotion in the form of Alice in Chains in a way that struck a chord where I was like, if I could somehow figure out a way to do what he's doing to express myself in that way, I, I would die happy. But it's so otherworldly. It's so out there. But you're, and you're right on. It's like, you know, let's get to the root of who we are. Let's get alone for a little bit if we're, um, and, and, f and figure out how to get, how to get started, if, that, if that's what we want, you know, if that's what you want. Right. And, you know, I just, I, I feel like more people should pursue that kind of stuff. I mean, the, the technology is there, you know, like YouTube's out there. There's a billion different ways you could podcast. Um, I mean, it can also be forward thinking too. Um, I, like for, for me, like I haven't, I've, I've done stuff on Twitch in the past, but like I recognize like very early on, like Twitch was going to be something very big and valuable. Like you have to kind of look at like these new, you know, there's, there's definitely a balance of it, but you have to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what the next thing is because otherwise you're going to get left behind. Like there, there's a lot of people that are probably still pursuing certain types of like, you know what I mean? Like there, there's people, out there, I'm not saying like, like FM radio is dead, but like if I, if I'm, if, if you want to be in like, like a DJ or like a, like a talk show guy or whatever, like I wouldn't be pursuing getting on to the radio. I'd be pursuing figuring out how to use YouTube, how to use Twitch, how do you, how to broadcast, how to do it yourself. Cause the, cause the memes are available now. Dude, that's so interesting. You bring that up. The next, the show that I'm going to work on when we get done with this conversation is Ross's episode. And Ross is a full-time DJ in Memphis. And I, and the thing that freaks me out that it, after going through the conversation with him, I'm going to go back and edit it, but like he can't fully be himself. He can't really express himself to his full extent to the point where it's almost like he's, he's kind of trapped. He's trapped by the, the radio persona and the radio culture and the professionalism of it that the liberation, cause I'm, I'm big on the big L word, dude, liberation and freedom. I think that's the only point of doing anything is to get a sense of harmony, peace and freedom about ourselves that we should enjoy life while we're here. So anything that we can do to get there, I'm all for, as long as it's not harming anyone else. Sure. But my fear is, is like, is like, I, like, man, when your livelihood is dependent upon doing a job for someone who's profiting off of you doing that job and they can just slit it out and it's like, what do you do next? You know, like that scares the shit out of me. Um, to, to be fair though, that could happen like on YouTube too. Oh, I mean, yeah, for anything. I mean, YouTube can just decide one day they don't want to monetize fighting because they don't think it's advertisable. And Bro, I, I think else. about the fact that my voice could leave any day, that I could lose my eyesight, I could lose movement in my arms. And I just think, so like, I always try to go as deep as possible to the source. But the one thing that I know to be true is that there's no better feeling than, than getting something out or expressing something in the way only that I can and, and not feel like I have to be a certain way for someone. Yeah, I just, I just, um, yeah, I know when I, I, I always go as deep as possible and I always think what's the point, right?
what's the point of anything? And I, and I, and I truly think like I'm at this, I've been to the, to the, to the existential, to the end of that thread and, and found nothing and found meaninglessness and found a void. And after I came out of that void, I, I, the process of coming out of the void has made me realize that life is truly what I make it and it can be enjoyable and we can dance through it. So how to, how to figure that out for oneself, I think is really the only point. Yeah, I agree. Very well said. And then in your spare time, you can play video games and troll people like Leroy. <laughs> so, so you can still have a good time. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So man, dude, this has been I, fucking, uh, I totally agree, man. This has been excellent, dude. Um, man, I don't, is there anything you'd like to share or anything you'd like to say, anything you'd like to mention that you've been doing or anything on the horizon before we, we close out? Uh, well, thank you for having me on the show. First of all, I, I appreciate it. Um, and this was also like, I hope you didn't feel any pressure to do it either. I just like hit you up on Twitter and said, Whoa. If you, I'd be happy to come on. I'm so happy you did. And anybody else who wants to please hit up me or Jensen. Like, well, I also know, you know, having, you know, obviously podcasting myself, like sometimes you, you really want to get content out there, but like you can't find guests. So it is always helpful to have people reaching out that want to do it. Um, and it's, uh, I guess as far as like my stuff, uh, yeah, Fight Talk podcast, uh, it's available on every podcast platform. I do uh, multiple live chats a week with my friend, Jesse Davin. She's, uh, she's fantastic, uh, kind of like co-host, uh, for, for what we're doing on YouTube. Um, I do the Fightful Select Weekender podcast every Sunday. That's available at FightfulSelect.com. And, uh, I basically talk about independent professional wrestling, impact wrestling, NWA, Ring of Honor, like that kind of stuff. Basically all the non-WWF, um, or sorry, WWE uh, slash AEW stuff. Although I do cover being the elite a little bit. Um, and then the big thing, yeah, MMA on point. Uh, you can find us on every, so, so on Twitter, we're at on point MMA because somebody has that MMA on point. And I don't understand Twitter. This person's, this person created this account like 10 years ago and never used it, but like they haven't, they haven't like, uh, purged it or whatever. So like we can't get it for whatever reason. So on Twitter, we're at on point MMA on Instagram and Facebook to search MMA on point. Um, and then on YouTube as well. I mean, that's our real bread and butter. Uh, we have MMA on point, which is the main channel where we, we upload video every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. We have the extras channel, which is like re-uploads of stuff that has been taken down by UFC and also fighter interviews. when We go to events and, uh, there's also screen on point, which I'm not really involved with, but owned by the same people, uh, where they break down like movie stuff. Um, then we have the other channel too, which is, uh, MMA no Ponto Brazil, which is, uh, our, a version of our MMA on point videos that are translated into Portuguese for the Brazilian market. So, a lot of stuff going on over there. And, uh, if you're a fan of martial arts, what would, what would you say to the best place to, to, to find you to follow just what you're doing on a daily basis and how you're like, just you. Yeah. Just uh, follow me on Twitter. Um, it's fight fight talk or yeah. F I G H T T A L K underscore. Um, that's Twitter. And I usually, anything that I'm involved with, like if I edit a video, I usually put it out there. If I'm going to be doing a live chat with Jesse, I put it on there, um, upload my podcast and all that stuff. So that's, that's basically like the hub for all the stuff that I do would probably be my Twitter at fight talk underscore. And to reach out to you too, fight talk underscore on Twitter. 
Yeah, yeah. Just uh, my direct my DMs aren't open at the moment. Um, but if if like I don't follow you, just like mention me, just like at fight talk underscore, and just like say hey, I, I heard you on Adam's podcast, and I'm looking for some help, and I'll I'll reach out to you and stuff. So I'd be I'd be happy to help that way as well. Right on. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Uh, I love all the wrestling stuff, man. I love how you're 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 in the underground and independent scene. That like it's the best man it's 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 very uh rewarding to watch. not not personally but it's fun to watch it's uh, the shit to watch dude i i love one of my biggest regrets is i left at an amateur event early for some bullshit reason it's but man dude this is this is this has been freaking great dude um real quick before we go if you had to choose one favorite wrestler of all time and why chris jericho uh the kind of the most basic answer I can give for that would be like, so I have, I have like three go-tos when I'm asked a question like that. Uh, Chris Jericho, Randy Savage, and Shawn Michaels are like three that like I really, um, Cody Rhodes is there as well, but that's more for like bias reasons. Cause like, you know, I've been pulling for him since high school, but like I would say Chris Jericho to give it a good example. A lot of people compare Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels. Um, for a lot, they're very similar in a lot of ways. Shawn Michaels, pretty much his entire career, like he had a, a run in Texas and a run in the AWA in, in Minnesota also, but like his main run was like, was WWF. And that's all he really did was WWF. And he was like the man the whole time he was there. Um, Jericho has done that in ECW, WCW, WWF, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and now AEW. And he consistently changes his character. He consistently has good matches. Um, he's consistently like a championship level guy, um, always entertaining, always good in the ring. Uh, and he also is a uh, lead singer of a rock band called Fozzie, which is like super successful. They open for like Metallica and shit. Like, so like, this guy is just like an overall entertainer and he's been able to do it everywhere he goes, not just like one spot. Um, whereas like Sean, Sean's probably the best in ring worker I've ever seen in the WWF. Um, and then Randy Savage, I credit for getting me into pro wrestling. Like, like Hulk Hogan was kind of like the gateway for like everybody because everyone knew Hulk Hogan. But I remember when I got into it, always thinking like Randy Savage is better than Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan always beat him. It always pissed me off because Hogan just had that leg drop. Randy Savage jumping off the top rope with the elbow. And I thought that was, to, to, to this day, that's still my favorite move of all time is, is his flying elbow drop. Everyone does one now, but his <laughs> elbow drop. Still my favorite movie in professional wrestling history. Dude, he, he looked like he was about to just nap on someone, dude. Oh, he came down. He always he always hit it perfect, too. Ooh. He, just, and his he, face. he wasn't fucking his opponent up. Yeah. And then, like, all the Slim Jim commercials and, and Bone Saw and all that shit. Dude, Bone <laughs> Saw is ready. Yes. Yes, 100%. So, but, yeah, I'd say I'd say Chris Jericho is my, uh, my favorite all time. Man. Dude, all right. So th thanks again, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna end the recording, and we're gonna end with we're gonna play some music, dude. So we can get ourselves in the mindset, get ourselves alone, dude. Go throw that Nirvana on. Blitz yourself out. Blitz yourself in. Tune yourself in. Tune yourself out. Whatever you do. Thanks so much for joining us. Please reach out to either of us if you got any questions or, or want to shoot anything by us. And yeah, that's it. In the words of uh, I guess Ready to Rumble would be uh, I don't know what's a quote from Ready to Rumble. Uh, diamond cutter upside down is what is it? Hey, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, dude. Show from the world famous dancing poodles.
Next, ladies and gentlemen, we have three fine young men from Seattle. They're coming. Hold on, they're coming. They're thoroughly all right and decent fellows with their hit single, In Bloom. Here they are, Nirvana.